out of your hotel motel. What you gonna do today? Is I'm gonna get a fly girl, gonna get some spank and drive off with a death OJ. Am I out of your hotel motel? Hello there, you're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Everybody Wants Some! Exclamation point, exclamation point. My name is Tom Chick, I'm here with Christian Ralph-Lansky. Uh, at parties, I usually tell people I'm an average podcaster. <laughs> and with an Everybody Wants Some tagline or two, Kelly Wand. It's like dazed and confused if it was before sunrise. Hmm. I had the flu this week, so there's going to be a lot of awkward silences. (laughs) Wait, was that the second one? I have the flu this week. (laughs) Yeah. But my backup second was baseball should always be played with axes. (laughs) I had the flu this week. That's my third one. The fourth one is... Finally, a Linkletter movie with a Gilligan's Island reference. I had the flu this week. And finally... <laughs> Snow White and the Axeman. I watched it with a bud. Aw. Uh, I like see. that. That's oh, wait. Sweet. thing is that's a marijuana reference. Oh, wait, what? That's why I thought you went, aw. Aw, pot reference. <laughs> we so rarely I... get those on these on this podcast. Aw, Kelly likes pot. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for some actually pointers as far as that was concerned. As far as smoking pot? No, just uh, not just. You got to inhale. It's Clinton did wrong. The understanding of what the packing of that thing was. Oh, dingus! You're so you're so cute. (laughs) Get a load of dingus here. That thing packing. Yeah. Packing that thing. Thing is had a very different. He did not exactly have the uh, ideal. Everybody wants some childhood that some of us had. Kelly Wand. <laughs> Which guy, character was he in the movie? Well, you know what? We'll find out. But first, I have to say something right. else. Uh, Dingus today asked me. He's in the last scene. <laughs> he asked yeah. me, "Do they have dogs in Star Trek?" Uh, does See, it triple? You know, I had just... to think about it. I had to think about it for a minute. But of course they did because Star Trek is like on Earth. Chewbacca. No, oh. Star Wars. Oh, that's what I said, nice. by the way. Is it Chewbacca? They don't have dogs in Star Wars. That's the thing. Here's a there's a game. In, there's a Star Wars game where you're flying around in uh, snow speeders and you're shooting at ATSTs. And the pilot at one point says, uh, like, there's this chatter on the radio as you're flying, and one of them says something like, "Look out for those chicken walkers." <laughs> Which uh, is – I can't believe that's so non-canon. There are no chickens in the Star Wars universe. That makes no sense. Like that reverse joint leg thing that those things walk on, no one would call that a chicken walker in Star Wars universe because there's no chickens there. There's no chickens. There's no dogs. There's no cats. Well, do they have calamari because that's the name of Akbar's planet? Seems like a weird name to call it. Well, it's spelled differently, and second of all, it's Mon Calamari. Ooh. Yikes. I feel scorched. I just got double sunburn tattooing. It was a, it was it was a trap, Kelly. <sighs> We're all going to be a lot thinner. <laughs> I care. Wait. So what were you saying? <laughs> just that they have dogs in Star Trek. I don't. I can't think Wait, of a specific one, but because Star you, Trek. Where, what was your actual have, evidence for that? Yeah, you just talked about Star Wars oh, not yeah. having chickens. Oh, is your evidence right. that Star Trek? 
Well, they have whales. I mean, they go to San Francisco. There are dogs in San Francisco. I'm pretty. Oh, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Star Trek has Earth in it, and Star Wars. Uh, it takes place. See, we're, Lucas was like, "Yeah, just forget the long time ago galaxy far, far away thing." But I'm sticking with it. I think it's in the distant past, far away from here, and that's why they're so dumb in it. But dogs haven't been developed or domesticated or whatever. No, I mean, it's they have. Them. They have like banthas and uh, uh, saw them. Quad runners, quad no uh, tauntauns, those things. Do you also know this? I don't believe this. In the Star Wars movies, you never see written text. Did you guys know this? No, you do. Yeah, you do. <gasps> you do. Oh my gosh, you do. So, and it's uh, so I can punk, so I can get my friend back who's convinced me. When do you see written text? In Jedi, they're on the shuttle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, when they're like going in towards Endor, right. and then the Empire is scanning them from a star destroyer, and then they, there's like a screen that shows, and all this like weird alphabet. So, oh no, no, that's what I mean. Like English words, you never see a word written. because uh, my friend told right. me, and I was, yeah. no, there's got to be like in a control panel where it says something like you know speed or kilometers or something like that. Like when Luke's looking through his little binoculars, are there maybe words around the edge there? No, it's all deedly deedly. So there's no English text in a Star Wars movie ever. But if like, his name, if if R two D two's name has an R in it, but you never see it written, do you? No, no, you just see R two D two's like weird, like predator language, like hash marks and whatnot. Yeah, that's crazy to me. So but I thought there was a there. I remember I thought there was like an, a, a time where they fucked up and there is written text and like in one of the prequels or something. Well, those, Does that count? Canon. those aren't canon. Yeah, yeah that doesn't. Matter. I'm talking about Star Wars movies, not the later crap that he did. Also, C-3PO is supposed to have "Thank the Maker" tattooed onto his ass. But That's why does? Canon. But why does that matter? Why does what matter? Whether Which or not part? there's any words on the screen. Are you asking us or are you asking – I'm asking you in particular to – you know, because your friend said this doesn't happen and you're saying like it's important. Oh, it like, never would have occurred better. to me. Like it never would have occurred to me that uh, for whatever reason, they just never wanted an English language or any text, you know, readable text to appear in the movie. I was no, like, it occurred to me a long time ago and I thought it was weird <laughs> and interesting. I mean it is interesting. They, 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 yeah. it's the same reason that they don't have dogs and chickens. The same reason that saying chicken legs is Lucas does, doesn't want it situated in this universe in a way or not this gal or whatever. I mean it's in this universe, but he doesn't want it situated in a place where we see English – the Arabic uh, uh, numbers or the, the, new, uh, the alphabet that we have or chickens or dogs. Like, he doesn't want those familiar touchstones to appear oh, okay. in this universe. But, but I think bought there's, there's plenty of movies where you don't see printed language appear. Like what? Like any – I mean, I mean I'm sure we could find a, a ton of movies that just for whatever reason – Star Trek is lousy with the English language written. But it's supposed to be because it's, it's – And dogs. It also has dogs. But I mean even just modern day I, – I don't understand why this is – why that matters. Interesting. Yeah, it's just it, it, I never noticed it. Before. <laughs> I think this might be right on the. Yeah, in the bear, you. Also... I did notice it. Thought it was right. <laughs> like in but Dune. Uh... Here's the thing: in Dune, is there any writing in the English language? Yeah, it was, it was, it that matter. Sure. I don't understand what this is supposed to prove. Well, not, nothing. It's just I thought it was interesting. It's world building. It's like a world building. It's okay. an, and it's unusual to the Star Wars movies. Well, it does. Certainly makes me want to watch the movies again. So, like a lot of things. kudos. Did, to you. did you not know that? Because I would assume, Dingus, you're probably sitting there with your arms folded, going, "Ugh, I knew this ten years ago." 
No, he's saying it's boring. He's no, not, not saying boring. I'm just saying I don't know what it's. I don't know what it means. <laughs> well, I'm assuming you would have known that, like, and that that's not inter- that you that that's something you've been aware of. I mean, you know every line in Star Wars. How can you not know that there are no uh, alpha alphabetic letters? He was hoping to go, No, <laughs> but the Jedi stuff because it means they have a different alphabet. Right, they have predator like Dingus uh-huh. called. So then that letters. Yeah, in the movies they have. Right, so that means that they have to use that alphabet and all the other ones, including Episode Seven. If Episode Eight's going to be canon, it has written text. It has to has, have the goofy Jedi alphabet. Yeah, that's or, the thing, Dingus. So that, therefore, that means in the the last good Star Wars movie, there are no words in there. Like you, you never see anybody whip out a book with the, the name of the cover written on it. Literate people aren't the target. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of literate people, Dingus, would Kelly or I win a quiz if you were to administer one to us? I think either either of you might win it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a uh, review that I read of a movie, uh, and this is just written by one of the writers of reviews on the website IMDb. So here you go. <laughs> Here's this review. Now I, mean, I know – guess the movie, right? Yeah, you're just guessing okay. the movie. Whoever okay. guesses the movie first, just shout it out. Okay. Right. So uh, the title of this post is Now I Know Why I Never Heard of This Movie. All right. Here we go. Now I Know Why I Never Heard of This Movie. Told it unless you God. I like that his title is also the first line of his uh, – Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He That's his byline also. did not bother to title the review beyond the first line. It, it is not Children of or God. Nicely done, Kelly, but nice try. Um, <sighs> now I know why I never heard of this movie with such a good cast. I was shocked. I had not heard of this movie, but after watching it, now I understand. It was pretty good idea for a movie, but not executed very well. <laughs> I just felt I like... I never know what that means. I just felt like Sean Penn had all these great ideas and grand schemes. The gunman. No. And grand schemes for an intense movie. But instead of focusing on one solid motif, he threw out too many concepts and character issues into the mix. Into the wild? Tree of life. No, no. The Wait. entire stripper slash sexual subplot with Jack Nicholson could have been oh, completely. The crossing guard. It is the crossing guard. Yeah. There's only one movie with him and a stripper. He's not that into him. Right. So Kelly wins this one. Crossing guard. All right. Well, Wait, uh, that's the main plot, I thought. Never mind. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. Uh, well, Dingus, what movie did we see? Other, We didn't see Crossing Guard this week. What movie did we see instead? We could have seen it, but we opted not to. Well, this week we saw Everybody Wants Some! Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Uh-huh. A 2016 American movie about... I'm sorry, American comedy movie about what happens to those jerks after the last day of school in 1976. It was written and directed by Richard Linklater. It stars Blake Jenner, Glenn Powell, Wyatt Russell, Zoe Deutsch, Austin Amelio, and Tyler Hoechlin. Everybody Wants Some is rated R. Oh, yeah. For language... For language – what do you mean what? Are you kidding? 
It is rated R. <laughs> Kelly wanted just if if nobody was beheaded and blood wasn't gushing out of the stump where their neck was, Kelly Wan doesn't understand why it's rated R. I really don't. I totally don't. Link, for, okay, let me tell you why. <laughs> Language throughout sexual content, drug use, and some nudity. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Kids never see themselves nude. Really <laughs> it has nothing to do with whether or not it's terrible. It just is. There, You have a butt, and you have some huh. breasts right there with nipples. Just burn two butts. There are two butts. When they go swimming, Roper has on just his jockstrap. Oh, and you see oh. – uh, I think you see the other guy's butt when he has his jockstrap on when they do the joke about, oh, you can't lift up your sternum when your sternum is being pressed with a finger. So there are three butts in this movie that I can think of. Does that butt – do jockstrap butts count? Yeah, yeah. Because right. as long as it doesn't have like cloth – like if it's, a, if it's a, a thong where there's like cloth going down the crack of the butt, then it's okay. But jockstraps embrace the butt. They don't penetrate it. <laughs> Tom's tried. <laughs> Because, because, because I saw it with our friend Alexandra, and she was just like, "Don't, don't worry. That's those are doubles." For uh, when the when the first butt appears and then the breasts appear, she's like, "Oh, the, the don't worry. Those are body body doubles. That doesn't count. Those breasts don't go with that butt." And all I could think of was was us watching the bronze, and then me getting to listen to her talk about picking out her body doubles. Um, which, I, which, I, which I found totally, totally just charming. Uh, who were the Who were they? I'm sorry, I'm talking about. Uh, uh, it's Melissa Roush, right? Right. Um, just to, yeah. to her talking about picking out her body double, and I just thought that was so charming. Uh, I don't think those are body doubles, and everybody wants them simply for the reason that there's no body single, there's no body primary, there's no primary body to be doubled for. Right, I don't. I don't think so either. But just because when we were watching, I went, "Whoa, there's a huge butt right there. That's great." They're just and called oh, naked. Look, naked breasts. people. Yeah. Yay. That's even more our. Well, Kelly Wan, did the MPAA miss anything that you feel should have been on the that little ratings list of, of, of things? Uh, they should have said Kurt Russell playing thirty, um, <laughs> ensembles, the South, and life lessons. <laughs> That's not the South. But just to just to be clear, it it was up for thousands of years. Kids could see butts all since the beginning of human civilization, and then for the last thirty years, we've all agreed the majority that now kids can't see butts unless they're accompanied by a seventeen-year-old. I don't think butts get you an R rating. I think it was the breasts that got. Yeah, I think it was the breasts. I think that's okay. I was was just saying the the first thing that was when I was watching the movie, I was like, I mean, but it was a very sexual moment. It was, uh, you know, it was was, uh, underwear being peeled off of a butt, which is not just, which is not the same as watching like, you know, uh, a native running through the forest, you know, in uh, uh, Apocalypto. I mean, or Dennis Franz in NYPD Blue. You can see his butt on TV, right? Beverly Hills so, Friends. I don't, I don't know. I've never, I've never been to NYPD Blue. I think that was one of the first TV broadcasted butts, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. It was uh, in the shower. Uh, well, I, I have not seen it. I've just heard about it. <laughs> first shower, too. Never I read about it. I only read about it. Uh, everybody wants some was a financial failure. didn't make them much money. Uh, however, really? critically, it did very well. It didn't have, it had a very limited release. 
Um, I don't know who the target audience would have been. There are no. I did that with Days Confused too. I don't know that Days Confused. I, I think the the budget for this is listed as ten million. I don't think they spent that much on Days and Confused. I'm guessing. Oh. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews for Everybody Wants Some that are positive is eighty-seven oh, percent. On Metacritic, wow. the average rating from various reviews eighty-three out of a hundred. Kelly Wand, what I'd like you to do now. Is oh god! <laughs> I don't know how you're going to approach this, but how would one do a synopsis of the events in the movie Everybody Wants Some, and what would one call such a thing? Everybody wants sopsis. Question exactly mark? Question mark? <laughs> ah, question mark and question mark. Okay, good. <laughs> Playing with a punctuation. Yeah. Wait, you were supposed to guess. Can I retract what I said? That's what I would have guessed. I would not have guessed the punctuation uh, uh, alterations that you made. Really? Yeah. That's where it gets easier, I thought. But, you know, with, wait, so what's the cast list? I, I didn't recognize any of those names Dingus said. Yeah, you're not going to either. It's a uh, bunch of... Let's I mean, watch Glee, I think. <laughs> or, or the Disney Channel, which Zoe Deutsch is on. Ah, okay. Uh, hey, on watch the show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not he. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, I said she. All right. I'm fair enough. Uh, she's on one of the Disney shows my kid watches. It was like like oh. the, the, it's not the Sweet Life of uh, it's it's one of the sweet the Sweet Life shows. Of Zach and Cody, is that the? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But it's it was, uh, it was like creeps. a it was a spinoff of that show, but I can't remember the exact title of that show right now off the top of my head. But uh, but I know I'd seen her face before because he watches those Disney you know those Disney Channel shows all the time, and he liked the Sweet Life of of Zoe and Cody or whatever the heck that was what that was. But I know that she she has that perfect that perfect. Um, that perfect Disney Channel face. Uh, that's not to say she's bad in this at all. I'm just saying she's got that face. Yeah, she twinkles though. She twinkles. Yeah, that's a great way to put yeah. it. She's got a cruise, a beautiful she's cruise. She's for ship. all ages. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, I didn't recognize. I, I'm. I don't know who we're talking about because the version of this movie that I saw. I'm, I'm was, talking I about Beverly. I don't know who you're talking about. I'm talking about Beverly. Oh, Beverly, because – wait, she played Beverly in the version you saw? Because I thought – I saw a studio recut because they'd recast the parts with Jason Statham, Kevin Costner, Bayling, Ben Foster, and Patrick Stewart as Pac- <laughs> Michael Showalter's character. Good. But it's the same black guy. So the opposite might be confusing because this was based on that star-studded version that I was shown. This is going to be good times then. Everybody wants Opsis. Question mark, question mark. My Sharona starts playing. A character in a car looks at some period pieces of ass and parks at a baseball mansion, but leaves the music on in his car while he carries <laughs> records inside. He gets perplexed at the sight of a garden hose and some schlitz. A brunette person with a mustache runs downstairs and goes, Shut off the fucking faucet outside. Who the hell are you? Jake Crawford. Infielder? Pitcher like Tim Robbins. Right, let's get one thing straight. I hate pitches and baseball. We may be on the same team, but you're dead to me. 
Okay. Costner <laughs> carries his records into a room with blonde Kurt Russell and an also blonde guy with a different mustache in it. They all stare at a waterbed with a hose in it. Blonde mustache is all, what do you expect from a water balloon? <laughs> As evidenced by this collapsing new teammate. I see you've met Mr. Roper. Yeah, he told me he hated pictures. I'm encouraged. I was worried. I was really worried. I cut stuff. I was so worried. A dumb guy's all, Man, having sex with the waterbed's like having sex with a fat girl. The mustache guy golfs a one. A black guy opens the door and goes, <laughs> You scared the shit out of me. They all follow a phone cord to a guy in some underwear. Then they walk back. The black guy's all, Hey, Costner, what position do you play? Pitcher in Bull Durham, Tin Cup, I think I was a caddy. Swing boat, I live with Indians. That's why I have feathers in my head. <laughs> well, I play second base, so y'all watch yourself. Okay, see you later, McConaughey. Okay, ladies, team meeting. <laughs> 45 minutes of drinking and 16 of idle chatter. Now that's what I'm talking about. Sorry, I can't talk to people till all my records are unpacked. My character's a record album enthusiast like the mechanic resurrected. The black guy's all bullshit. They all drive around and sing along with the soundtrack for a while, except for Costner, who just nods his head. Suddenly, they pass some females near a house. Foster honks the horn and sticks his head out the window and screams, Tits! <laughs> One girl's all, Fuck off, faggots. Show Walter's all, That was beautiful! Everybody high-fives themselves. They eventually find some girls without a house and invite them to a party that night at the baseball. <laughs> One of the girls is all, where? They laugh and drive off, high-fiving. Costner's all, she looks like my third, fifth-grade teacher. They park in a random motel parking lot next to two more girls. Show Walter's all, are you girls? One of them's all, we're not interested, white man. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, really? Yeah, I don't know who's Disney Channel, girl, you're talking about. But I said I had Bay Ling in it. They knew it was going to do bad box office, your, your, your version, student film, whatever. They drive off. Mustache is all, they had a typewriter go back. Excuse me, ladies, I'm a big supporter of the IRA, although I doubt it will happen in our lifetimes. <laughs> I only like quiet white man in backseat. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what is happening? <laughs> Everybody wanted some, what? Oh. Just a suck. They're all lesbians and drive off. Mustache is all. Costner, I heard your cock looks like a belly button. That sounds threatening. Park here so I can see which room she's in. I may want to break in later. 
This just went from cute to restraining order. <laughs> it's a romp with Ben Foster. That's where he got his. Uh, that's where he started. Really taking it back home. They park and spend a few minutes trying to read the number on her door from across the street, but eventually give up. After they all talk some more about Costner's dick. <laughs> That's what they do. I've only been in college an hour and I'm already pulling in the groupies. Statham points to his dick and goes, I got your joke right here to the fox. They drive some more till they find a bar with a stuffed fox outside that looks like it's screaming through a bullhorn. <laughs> Costner comes over with a couple pitchers of pee. The black person's all, now that's what I'm talking about. Foster's all, finally! Some more guys show up on piggyback and everybody drinks. Mustache is all, oi, where's Michael Showalter, that psycho from Detroit? Everyone needs two weirdos on a team. They drink some more and touch each other's mustaches. That <laughs> night, coach is all, Although you've already been hanging out with them all day, I'd like to introduce you to more characters. Stinky whistle slitchers. The guy stands up and goes, hey guys, sit down, asshole. Just for that, you're benched. Also, we have a Kevin Costner and Michael Schultz from Detroit. Wake up, semicolon. The guy's all, why? Now, there'll be no alcohol on the premises and no girls in the bedrooms. you got to have sex, do it in the yard out there with each other. This is a baseball team. Most celibate fraternity on earth. They go to a bar to high five some more. On their way in, mustache is all. Remember, shake something, don't break something. Everybody dances with themselves. One guy dances like a cat. Afterwards, they all gather and watch. Okay, so the visuals are the same. believe it. Because there's, can't there's, believe this is happening. There's nothing funny about that. You're just saying what actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it was back in the 80s, Tom. Remember? The dance. <sighs> South. Afterwards, they all gather to watch Foster woo a coterie of co-eds with talk about how mediocre his cock is. The black guy's all, man, it's a genius. I guess it doesn't work with you. I don't know. He's never tried it on me. Hey, you see what I see? Two girls out of the hundreds surrounding them giggle like all the rest. Which one you going for? Michelle, man, I know she's tall, but I'm climbing that tree. They take everyone who's inside the disco with them to their house to keep dancing and listen to music, but in a much smaller space that's less structurally sound. <laughs> After walking in on Kurt Russell playing baseball by himself in the nude, Costner has sex in a car. Inside, Mustache enchants his lady in bed by going, I feel like the Astros are going to make the World Series. The next morning, they make fun of a hillbilly for not understanding how phones work or menstruation, then go to a yard to play football and basketball at the same time. <laughs> After Statham chops up some baseballs to use as kindling, they... 
I cut so much. I feel bad now. They go to an arcade to watch Coster play video games. Damn, look out, Kevin! The trick to playing Space Invaders is to wait until they're in the bottom row here so they don't shoot at you. You just need to keep like so. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> now that's what I call some dead ETs. Oh, fuck, it's only 1980. I mean, uh, Blue Lagoons. Uh, uh-oh, look out, bro. Here comes the next wave of Space Invaders. Get ready. Huh? Space Invaders has more than one wave? <laughs> <laughs> How do you beat Pac-Man? Those damn ghosts keep beating me. I can't even get to those pellets in the corners, whatever those do, at the pool table. Please do not use the bitch stick. (laughs) Play like you got some semen in your sack, bro. He was well cast. That night at the mansion... Fine, go ahead and don't splash cologne on your chest and armpits. But if you want to come back here and do the five-knuckle shuffle, that's fine with me, Costner. Chicks come up to me all the time and say I've got the best cheese on campus. They go back to Sound Machine to dance some more. Costner goes up to a girl and goes, I like your dress because it's blue like your eyes. She rolls her eyes and walks off. Meanwhile, at the bar... Screwdriver! I didn't order the Magna Carta. (laughs) Did you just plunk a lime into my screwdriver? Do you wish a stare down, my dear sir? I'll come back there and show you a good time. (laughs) (laughs) That's Patrick Stewart going wah. (laughs) That link letter. An orgy breaks out while someone turns up the music. To celebrate, they ditch Stewart and all go to a country bar and square dance to a famous country song called Bullshit. The next morning, after a disastrous ping-pong game, Costner and a couple others smoke pot to look at Kurt Russell's Twilight Zone VHS collection. Yeah, man, listen to how the tangents are in the framework. It's all about finding out who you are in between the nodes. you got to tune in, man. It's like Carol Sagan says. Carol Sagan. <laughs> It's not what's in the atom, it's what's in the molecule. As Exhibit A, let's play a quick round of telepathy. What am I thinking of? Telepathy? (laughs) Having a tail. Liz Kaplan's all, period? (laughs) Russell's all, close, sharks. They celebrate by walking to a place with a punker in front of it who's a little down on Gretchen which they then celebrate by being driven into a frenzy by the Gilligan's Island theme and waiting for night to have another party at the mansion. Costner writes a love letter to a door and leaves it some flowers. <laughs> the next morning, Kevin, you have a call. This chick says she wants you to squat on her boner. <laughs> Is this why man who left flowers on door dressed to auburn head going through seven? Mm. I'm in three oh nine. I destroyed them for you, but I kept phone number. <laughs> oh, well, that's... Well, I'm glad you called. That was quick. How did you know which room I wasn't in? I'm an investigative journalism major. We have our special ways. What, my name? <laughs> this is not... Uh... <laughs> Dingus, please. This is what happened. <laughs> Link letters saw this. <laughs> <laughs> I still won't know it after you tell me. 
wrong. My name is Bay. I like that you stole poem from Rod McEwen. I meant to steal from Whit Stillman. What is happening? That's weird. I'm Poach Major. Listen, watermelon's so beautiful. You seem too smart for jock. I hate talking to you on phone. You're not Hillside Strangler, but I'm still interested. Come over. None of this. Dingus. It's all in there, Dingus. Yeah, Dingus. Dingus, this is real. You got to live in the real world for once. Okay? I'm glad this is happening to you. This is a wake-up call you needed, just like Jake got from Bay. They get dressed in silence, then simultaneously hang up. <laughs> uh, I don't remember writing that. <laughs> so what's your game plan on this dude? She's going to be looking for certain signs of dipshitification. <laughs> I don't know. She's smart. Not like these airheads we got running around here. Think of it as like getting on the mound and letting your natural ability take over, assuming you have natural ability. Hey, fuck you. Bye-bye. C, is her roommate going to be there? D, what? E, I think it's time I introduced her to the foster-gasm. <laughs> he tries to break into Costner's car, but Costner tricks him by driving away. <laughs> Later in a hotel room where girls... <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll is poetic force, white man. Ruby, do you think Jim Morrison is alive? Who? Litmus test passed. I went to high school like the one in fame. Its name sounds like venereal disease. We had dancers. She pretends to vomit. Sounds like you're serious. So, what's this thing you're doing later? Helping decorate Oz. Come if want. Okay, I'll swing by after baseball practice. I'm sweaty in uniform, so ladies think you're method actor. You had me at litmus. In the locker room, they trick a new guy into putting his balls on Coster's chins. <laughs> then they practice baseball by watching Showalter start a fight with a fence. <laughs> I cut that part. Now I'm sad. It was Stuart. Then Kurt Russell gets expelled for being 30. They celebrate his expulsion by taping Costner and two random strangers to a wall and hitting baseballs at them. Then leave them there to go frolic in a river. Then they celebrate this by standing in a cafeteria line. The cafeteria lady squints at Foster and goes, What are you doing here? I thought you graduated. It just feels like I've been here too long. She agrees. They sit down. The black friend makes a speech that ends with Temptation's asshole. They all laugh at Russell for getting expelled and leaving them some weed and a Pink Floyd album. The dumb one admits to smoking the album. They wait for night to fall so they can play cards. That night, three sevens, that means you need to go to Manitoba, find a moose, get carefully under said moose, and suck its dick. It's happened once before. He throws his cards down and goes, O Canada, our home and native land, true badgers of Tonka and all thine Wang Chung nads. Everyone else is all, yeah, bullshit, it's not a real country. The black friends all, hey, Costner, where's your party at? They're all, oh, party. 
Well, I don't think you guys would be interested. There'll be a lot of dancers there. He just doesn't want us to go. I just don't think it'd be your guys' cup of tea. But fuck it, you guys can come with me if you want. They feign disinterest till he begs, so they agree to come cock-block him at each other. When they get there, at first they're disconcerted because the house has lights on it. Oi, were we supposed to come in costume? You are in costume. You're a dipshit. Foster puts on a top hat and goes, here's what we're going to do. Feed the freak. They don't know what this means, so instead they just walk around. Since the hosts are liberal arts enthusiasts, they keep a cat in the fridge. Suddenly a girl blonde attacks Coster from behind. She screams, I'm dressed as Dorothy or Alice in Wonderland! She puts a beaver on his head and goes, you need this! Meanwhile, in a kitchen, you're into astrology? Have you had your chart done? Of course, I am a Leo. I know, I know, full of myself, but very loyal, confident. The chart says I'm overly confident. It also says I'd make a great father someday, but I do not know. I thought you were a cause and effect dermonitionalationalist. Ha ha, did you tell about your average cock? Just because you guys are laying bricks with the ladies, your little jealous crabs just pulled me back into the boiling pot. Every time we get together, all we talk about is baseball. They all giggle, then go to a taping of the dating game. Costner wins by wearing rabbit ears. Later, in some muddy water. So was that thing you said to my car about liking my white skin just meant to piss off the car? Why you ask? Well, we all just make up romantic crap in my head. Both! Speaking of which, one time I wrote an essay about a Greek myth and applied it to myself. Was it Aphrodite? <laughs> no, I went with Sisyphus. He's my hero. Talk about a pitcher's man. You're genius! Even if it looks feeble to others, so is everything in life. Things have meaning! Yeah. Bad, doesn't matter. What matters is just getting that groove, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I look stupid. Isn't it beautiful? I like you. <laughs> so, she makes him kiss her. They go back to her apartment to have sex while he sleeps on her bed. They walk to where he thinks his class is. They wave goodbye, then kiss. She leaves, then turns around. He's all, bye. She's all, it pronounced bay. <laughs> We noticed that you never made it home last night. The black guy's all. Oh, there's some noticing going on. Don't you two have class? I go to class when I say I go to class. Bibliography highlighted. Costner goes inside his dumb friends there. Yes, I rocked it too last night. That tall girl in the leather wasn't an actual dominatrix, by the way, but it was still okay. Who's this fuck? Oh, I think that's the professor. This guy? Man, if I wasn't drunk right now, I'd be dead. It's gonna be a long year. Welcome to college, motherfuckers. The professor writes in chalk, frontiers aren't when you find him. Coster smiles, rests his head, and dies. After some credits, everybody raps. The end. Oh my god, Kelly Wand, I love you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alright. Uh, right. My stomach hurts, Kelly Wand. Uh, everybody? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a good movie. I see what, I see what I can believe that cat. Like it only cost ten million, and they afforded all those actors. <laughs> For a brief moment, and I think Diggis was in the same boat. I thought you had you hadn't seen the movie, and were instead going to do one of those things where you did a synopsis of another movie. Yeah, yeah, that happened. <laughs> I feel like I did. No, everything yeah. was in there. You did everything that was in the movie. Yeah, those things I all happened. Cat. That only happens in one or two you, movies. You've decided which character was playing what, but yeah, you did the whole movie. What? I'm not a director. Yeah, you are now. What are you talking about? I don't what? Tom, what's Dingus? I don't understand. You kept making noises during uh, the Zoe Deutsch parts. Yeah, the Zoe, just... Zoe Deutsch is not by the Bailing character is not. Oh, good Lord. You what? decided to do what you're going to do, weirdo. Dingus, I don't understand why you don't appreciate this opportunity to see the world through Kelly Wan's eyes. This is how he sees the world. No, you I basically appreciate yeah. any opportunity to do that, but that's not what was happening. Promoting Zoe Deutsch's career, too. Yeah, that, she that's play a, any role. That synopsis right there was the being John Malkovich of synopses, except it was being Kelly Wan. Right. Now let me order some towels and some new, like. Uh... <laughs> what? That's racist. What are you talking about? What's he saying, Tom? Why does he keep going on like this? Uh, see, when you reference movies to Dingus, he'll pull up some tiny little detail from the movie that most people would not have remembered. Because isn't that what John Malkovich does when John Cusack? Also, this movie had the no best part of the movie is when he orders towels and he's when when he's ordering things and the dude who's get, who gets to go into his head is like, oh my god, that's the best thing that ever happened. Rather than oh, yeah, oh, that's so right. sad. I thought you were talking about mechanic or. Um, Michelle Yeoh is giving Man, mechanics really resting heavily on you, Kelly Zoe Deutsch doesn't have anything to do with that voice, you weirdo. But I like resurrecting mechanic whenever. What? Zoe Deutsch's voice? You didn't like it? You thought she needed That wasn't for you. That was for me. Yeah, I know that was for you. So let me have (laughs) my joy. Quit being a a killjoy. That was for me. That was a gift Kelly Wan made for me. Yeah. It was beautiful. You Tom, got it. Tom likes racist humor. <laughs> you got you got it, white man. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was that was about yeah. as fun as actually watching the movie, Kelly Wan. Really? That's sweet. I you know, it now, was wait done a out of how, when I say that, how do you know that I didn't hate the movie and that I was slamming the synopsis? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. If I know anything. But um yeah, I just assumed you were reacting the way you did when you watched it the way I watched it. Uh, I never would have uh, – I I've so after uh, Boyhood and Bernie – did you guys see Bernie, the Richard Linklater thing with Jack Black? No, I didn't see Boyhood either. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean Boyhood has got some cool things about it, but it, it doesn't make me uh, – Boyhood – said this was equal to Boyhood. Well, I think Boyhood and Bernie too. Like what did he – he did something else with Jack Black, didn't he? Oh, School of Rock, of course, right. Um but yeah. is Bernie good? No, no, no. Bernie's not good. Bernie is uh, it, it's Jack Black just doing a character and Richard Linklater trying to make a serious movie around it, and they both seem to be doing completely different things. Um, mm-hmm. But then Richard Linklater too with Boyhood, I, I I sort of lost faith in this idea that he would know really how to cast a movie because he really backed the wrong horse with Boyhood. This kid L. R. Coltrane who was a cute kid but then grew up to be a bit of a of a pud. Um, you know, Richard Linklater shot this three-hour movie around this kid, and uh, so mm. I never. 
in a million years would have guessed that my, my over and under for everybody who wants some are uh, joyously ebullient ensemble movies where I just – the cast was just an, an amazing revelation to me, and the director just brought some fantastic people together, and they did amazing work with each other, uh, and my over and under are both movies that I love. So uh, where – I don't – I didn't recognize any of these guys, and watching this, I was just like, where did these people come from? These guys are all mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they just get real... go go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Like he does fine because he did that with Days of Confused too. Although well, even Days of Confused, I remember, and because it was like, like right after Slacker, like that was that was very much this. I don't remember it being as joyous. Uh, I remember Days and Confused yeah. being very laid back in indie and kind of hip. Um, but I don't remember it being as genial. Although it's pretty genial. Genial is a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's super. But everybody wants him's totally genial. <laughs> like, there's nothing non-genial about it. There's not even an, like an Aff, Affleck's character is confused. Isn't genial and um, like um, yeah, it, it's. It, Unlike Dazed and Confused, I mean, like, like I don't. Did Dazed and Confused ever get serious? Like, did it ever? Because I kept waiting oh, for yeah. that to happen here, where something dark was going to happen, or was going to get serious, or you know, and Adam under- Goldberg gets in a big fight and he gets his ass kicked really bad because he gets. No, it's off. not a big fight. Come on. Well, but it's dark. Like it gets to be you serious. You remember yeah. who he gets in a fight with? The stoner guy. The, the, the anti. Cat. He gets in yeah. a fight with Nikki Cat. But that's more serious than anything that happens in uh, Everybody Wants Some. Oh yeah, like there's no egg. Yeah, and I kept waiting for something like that to happen, and everybody wants some. Like I, yeah, I, I kept waiting on one of the guys to break or someone to get arrested, or and the movie just had no interest in doing that. Nope. Uh, no, and I love that about it. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, you haven't said anything. You hated this movie, apparently. You're seeing uh, it how much we like it. Uh, no, I, I love how much you like it. I, I, what I'm wondering is, is it possible to? Thoroughly enjoy watching the the, the feeling and the um, I don't know the uh, the situation the the feeling of watching a movie and then turn out not to like it is that possible? Uh, you can not like sure. I mean, you can not like. I mean, sure. Yeah. Um. Uh. I I really had I was I totally enjoyed watching this movie the first time I watched it. Um. Uh, unfortunately, it, what I would suggest to you guys, if you liked this movie a lot, don't watch Days and Confused again. Why well, don't that? Really? See, this to me, I, I would I would beg you if you if you really like this movie a, a lot, don't watch Days and Confused again, because uh, it will ruin this movie for you. Well, this this part of what I like about Everybody Wants Some is it really seems like this slacker indie filmmaker out of, I'm guessing, Austin, because uh, I yep. can't imagine he would come from anywhere else in Texas, uh, this slacky in, slacker indie filmmaker really maturing and appreciating the craft of direction and working as an entertainer rather than somebody with a message. Although I do think there's some very nice poignant points in here. Uh, this is, I just think, a, a skilled craftsman putting together uh, excellent entertainment. 
Uh, well, and he's, I, he's, he's putting together of... extra, he's putting together skill entertainment by just cobbling together the other things that he's done before and doing them in a more refined manner. And that, in that case, you're, you're absolutely right. And we have, we have, you know, one of our listeners, Chris Webb, kind of says the same thing. He, he kind of likens this to casino in the same way. He's, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you kind of already, you already did it and now, and now you're doing it, but you're refining it a little bit more. Um, uh, so it, it's kind of, uh, on, on that sort of same thing. Right. But I, I saw I, it I, I the find first this time. Movie, I... I find this movie pretty upsetting watching it, uh, like, uh, watching it a third time today. Um, uh, I, although again, it's weird to say I had a great time watching it the first time I watched it. Um, but then when you start writing about it and thinking about it, 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 and especially watching Dazed and Confused, it's kind of the same. It's the same movie just four years later. I mean, it's the same thing. Dingus, that's like being upset at a different production of Hamlet with a new cast. No, <laughs> because it's, I really it's like. Absolutely not the same thing at all. Well, uh, that's my, my, my analogy would be that that is the same thing because even if this, if this is the template from Dazed and Confused, which I, I haven't seen that in a while, but I freely accept it is, and I think that's obvious. To, to anyone who sees it, the the real value in this isn't the template. It is the ingredients of the template. It's the cast. Uh, it's the, and I don't remember this being the case in Days and Confused, by the way. But the cast here, these guys just ooze c- charisma and, and charm, and they're all likable and, and vivid and real. Uh, you know, I didn't feel like I was watching a movie. I felt like I was hanging out with my friends, uh, and that that is, I think laid at the feet of this amazing cast of, of young actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if it does, like I said, if it repeats the template of, of Days and Confused to do that, that's fine with me, in the same way that I might enjoy a different production of a play that I've seen before with a new cast. And different writing. I mean, it's not Hamlet Hamlet. But well, right, right, right. But as far as like a, a, a sort of a, a writer at the top of his is his craft doing what he really does best because when you watch like like Barney for instance I don't even know if he wrote Barney uh, or, or even uh, Boyhood like I, I get the sense that this is Richard Linkletter doing what Richard Linkletter does best like School of Rock is really cute and it's heartwarming and it's family fair um, but I feel like this is Richard Linkletter just kind of writing about his experiences at this from this time uh, that it's just him doing personal material uh, and the characters are all really well realized. Yeah, yeah. By the Although they're all kind of similar, but it makes sense that they'd be similar. So it's like that's not even a strike. It just feels like that's how they probably talk. But right. get it? Yeah, uh, I had a ball at this. But I was going to say, Diggis, I don't disagree with you because I, I watch, but I had a different experience because I watched it the first time and I didn't like it. And I go, yeah, it's no days confused. And then I watched it a second time. And it kind of grew on me because I go, God, these actors are really fucking good. And so I wound up kind of coming more to like having Tom's experience the second time I saw it. But I didn't watch Days Confused anywhere near it. So I just sort of tuned out Days Confused and I, it found I was able to enjoy it more yeah. for that. So I don't know. Maybe that's the trick. Well, I, I, liked, I, I really did like most of the actors in this. I really did. I just didn't think he was doing anything They're different than he vibrant. did. What'd you say? Well, you know, I said they're very vibrant. They're very, uh, they're very alive. They're very vibrant. Very I mean, I, I mean, I love the. Uh, I don't. I forget his name off the top of my head. I, I love the Billy Crudup guy. Um, uh, I can't remember uh, which guy he was in your synopsis. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, 
I really I loved most of them except except for the uh, uh, the guy who was oh jeez I can't remember his name now um, the guy who was the guy who's over on the porch like twirling the I'm Jay Niles Jay Niles thank you I, I couldn't stand him I thought he was a terrible character uh, I thought he was I, I didn't I didn't get him at all I thought it was just a silly like Saturday Night Live character um, and but other than that I thought that most of them were just cribs from what he did in Dazed and Confused and um, but that's okay. Uh, uh, but other than that, I, I don't get this as an, anything other than uh, sort of another like layover of any of these other uh, like frat baseball college movies, uh, or that are the things that Linklater has done before, and, and that I think he's done better. Um, I mean, as as far as you know, looking at the. <laughs> At the Before Sunrise movies that he's done, I think he doesn't. I think that I don't know. They just work a lot better for me than this. This stuff does. That's See, I haven't seen. I really that. had a great time watching it. Uh, it's just that in the end, it just I, I find it really frustrating. Um, I, I I find it just to be a bunch of dudes like running around and doing the same things that they were doing in Dazed and Confused, um, and. It, Women just have nothing to do with it. They're just, you know, running around to different venues to dance and uh, try to get laid. That's it. That's I the think, movie. I, I think it's you, try to get laid. Try to get. I think you got the point. Yeah. 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 I got the point. It's just that's exactly the storyline. You, you yeah. Already, you're just going to show us. But that's not worthy <laughs> subject matter for. No, it's well, worthy subject it's, matter, but how many times are you going to do it? Does he get to do it now? But in Days of Confused, it's like the last day of school. Now, now we're all going to be like, oh, wow, you did it 10 years ago, and you did it again. Cool. I mean, I, I mean, he just did it. He already did it. Now he's doing it again. Great. I mean... There's nothing wrong with that, though, is there? Why is that a bad yeah, thing? Because I, I just... What do you mean, why is that a bad thing? If somebody does something well, well and he don't, wants to do it... Uh, periodically with different casts. I mean, why is that a bad thing? Again, like I would go back this. to my analogy of of a play with a different cast. Like if Julie Taymor does a production of Titus Andronicus uh, back in 1990, can she not do one 2000, 2010? Certainly she can do that on stage as many times as she wants, but do we have to okay. see that on film every four years? If the production yeah, is different, different, I mean, yeah. well, it's not four years, but if the production is different, yeah, I mean, you can have, you can have people doing... There are remakes that aren't terrible, for instance... Uh, they're, they're sequels. I mean, so you're cool with the same director doing a movie and then redoing the same movie for years. Well, later. I would actually and no, years would. later and just with a different cast, but basically the same movie. But he's just going to do it again, and that's cool with you. Sure. I mean, but I disagree with the premise in a way. But yeah, it's cool with me. If you think you, this has a lot of similarities, and I'm restating it. If you think this has a lot of similarity to uh, to uh, Dazed and Confused, that that's fine. Uh, but I feel like, like I said before, I feel like it's a director who's matured and who's really perfected his craft a lot since then. This is not an indie slacker movie from an Austin filmmaker. This is a, a relatively decent budgeted, uh, high energy cast of unknowns. Uh, who I think work together amazingly as an ensemble. Uh, it's a different period, and I, and I think it does have a different tone and goal than Dazed and Confused. This isn't a coming-of-age movie, by the way, I would say, because there's no uh, – age doesn't come 
Like this, and that's why I kept waiting for the twist, for the sort of the, the life lesson or something, or for something terrible to happen and to wake them up. This is about the, the basically, what is it, three, four days, three days, uh, before classes start, you know, and it doesn't go into the life lessons they later learn or who they become or how they come of age. Uh, it's just well, about I, who they are. It, yeah. But it, it is an indie slacker movie from somebody from Austin. And I accept what you're saying because he uses – basically, he uses the same image that he uses in the movie Slacker in this movie. And that's that's fine with me. That's fine that he's showing us how he figured that out. I mean in the movie Slacker, he uses like somebody vacated the apartment and they left a bunch of postcards on the floor. And now we're going to sit on the floor and look at those postcards. And now he uses that same exact moment in this movie. Just he's refined it. And that's okay. I mean, somebody has vacated their room and he's left an album on the floor. Okay, cool. He's done the same thing, but he's understood how to refine it. Um, I, I get why that. Why is that a bad thing, though? What, I don't, why, why I don't that... understand. I don't, it's, it's not a bad thing, necessarily. Oh. Uh, but. I don't, I don't understand why you're necessarily defending why a, a director should be able to remake the same movie every four years or whatever. Well, well first of all, it's not this. How how long ago is Dazed and Confused? Like when was that made? That was uh, it was in 1993. Yeah, that, and then it's fine that that was it was done then. So why are but you saying that, every four years? You, like if he wants to, you know, what is 20 years later make make something that is sort of a follow up to it? And he's even said. You know, dazed and confused is up to the end of high school. This is where they go afterwards. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Well, see, well, I didn't know that because you know, watching dazed and confused, I did that. I, I watched that for the first time, getting ready for this, and and you see that same sort of open title card. This is the last day of school with the same script and everything, and then you see this. This is the first day of college, um, it, but it doesn't feel like it progresses any. And, but but I I guess well because it's not a coming of age story that, yeah it's not about that, characters that, changing that, that or these, evolving these characters aren't changing place. or evolving yeah. but the pro- the problem is I don't like any of them okay well that's that's fine oh. I I thought they were all very likable I mean like I said I thought these that's, guys just oozed charisma and I felt like they were also vividly cr- I felt you know, they were also vividly realized they just felt like hanging out with like friends. Them. I mean, whether or not a character is charismatic doesn't mean you like them. And I well, I liked all of these guys, and that was one of the reasons yeah. I thought they were very. I liked their characters. Yeah, you didn't like their characters, or the you didn't like the performances. Uh, no, I didn't like the characters. I don't like. You didn't like the characters, or at least I mean, no. I guess maybe I'm thinking of Dazed and Confused. I didn't like any what, of the characters. What were their bad qualities? Because I thought they were just they were cool to each other for the most part. Like I mean, they're you know they're jocks. And there, it's Texas, and it's 1980. Like I think that's just how those guys. Like they're just, they seem friends. Like they were new friends. I, Am I? Like I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I sort of thought they were irresistible as well. I mean, I'm surprised that you like. They did treat you not each like other like shit? Well, they're competitive. I mean, and that's kind yeah, of they're the competitive, point. and, they and that's kind of how they bond. They talk and, about it. And that's they how they connect. About- yeah. Okay, but, but it all is- they treat each other like shit. You mean like the hazing because of the freshman thing? Yeah, I don't like that. I, I don't oh. like characters who do no. that to each other. I don't like characters who treat each other like shit. But it's not. It's not okay. That, that's odd to me that that would be your takeaway because that's not, I think, how it's presented. It's presented that this is how these guys bond with each other and form connections, and that these they had connections. It done to them. 
And this form of bonding is part of what it takes, and I don't understand this personally, but for them, it's part of what it takes to become a baseball team, to become a competitive team of guys who are good at what they do. Uh, they're not treating each other like shit, as you say, out of any sort of – at least the movie doesn't present it this Wait, way. Taking somebody sort of to a malice. wall and hitting a baseball at him isn't treating somebody like shit? That's a joke, Dingus. I don't think that's supposed not to be – Not a joke. It's crap. It's treating somebody but like shit. But it's true. It's not. I mean, it's. Whether it's or not it's true. Again, it's it's right. It it's not. The movie doesn't present it as because I I did look at that and think, oh my god, what if someone gets hit in the face with a baseball? It looks very unpleasant. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we're supposed to think of that as anything other than an affectionate hazing. They're not hitting it hard at them, like fuck, like they're not trying to hurt them. Yeah, still, it's a baseball though. I wouldn't want even even someone no, throwing a baseball at my face underhand. I was, I was a little like that. Almost felt like it was out of a different kind of comedy. That bit where they get taped to the the, the wall and have balls batted at them. Um, but I, I didn't see any of this as people mistreating each other. As mean spirited. Yeah, even even that really uncomfortable bit with. Uh, with uh, Nesbitt and Brumley doing the, the knuckle thumping, that looked positively wretchedly painful. Like I, that was almost like watching somebody get a shot in a That's movie. Like I, I cringed at that. <laughs> but I think Days of Confused, it's even more like there's true hostility. They're getting paddled, and it's like a it's like life or death. Thing and Daisy confused. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's I think that's shitty. I mean, I mean, there's a there's a comb there's a comb thing that goes on in in Slacker that's kind of the same. I mean, Slacker's a weird movie to have to watch. Actually, I don't suggest anybody have to watch it. But that that knuckle thing, the knuckle thing, he just takes right out of Slacker. It's like. You know that slap. That's probably something slap you grew up your... doing. I mean, that's probably. Yeah. I, I did the thing not with the knuckle thumping, but with like you turn over and you slap the back of someone's hands yeah, until one of them you. says, "Ow, it's too hard." But I think it's probably just it's just something that he grew up with, and he's putting it in this movie about. Right. I presume his childhood, like that's. And, look and how I, barbaric kids are. Right. Or just yeah, or look at how they would express competitiveness and ultimately affection for each other. I remember it being like that, so I'm not sitting here endorsing it. And right? ultimately, I think this movie becomes more and more about how these characters become more and more competitive and why that's part of their nature. Um, but not uh, in a judgmental. They're being they're treating each other like guys. shit way. Like I think it, I think it's very approving of the stuff that it's presenting. It's wanting to paint it in it's an improving light, an affectionate it's light. It's totally authentic, yeah. Like, this is as good as this stuff probably gets. <laughs> this is as genial as the hazing, which I was never exposed I, to I, stuff like that. So I just kind of took it at face value. But that's what I would expect from baseball teams, like freshman hazing and stuff. sports, yeah, I guess. Right, but uh, I disagree with the idea that hazing makes for good characters. I mean, I, I mean this... The way that they treat each other, I, yeah, I don't know how to describe this to you guys. But you don't think those guys actually treated each other like that back in the day or now? Even no, like no. That's, you whether or not they do or not, I mean, I'm. If this were a documentary, fine. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying that that people didn't do that to each other or didn't do it to each other. I didn't see it done to people when I was in high school or have it done to me. People calling you uh, nicknames. They're like, I call you Dingus, and that's not your real name. And you know it's completely 100% out of affection. And of someone course, seeing me course. do that to you wouldn't think, golly, he's treating that guy like shit. He's not saying his real name. I mean I think that's the spirit in which the movie presents a lot of the competitiveness. And, and there, there are times where – and it doesn't do this, but where it threatens to kind of break, like when McReynolds gets really upset about the ping pong or when Jay Niles on the mound – 
uh, is just convinced he's just going to give 150 percent and just really try to strike out all the, the guys. But every single time it comes back from that and shows us, no, these guys really like each other because Jay Niles comes up and he has that awkward apology to McReynolds. Uh, and McReynolds, obviously, like he he brings up the, the ping pong thing when uh, when um, Jake is pitching for him. Right. But it's it's a it's a like a. You know, it's it's not out of a malicious way. It's just like, okay, you won ping pong. Now I'm gonna get a hit on your pitch, whatever you call it in baseball. Yeah, that's uh, a good point, actually. Yeah. Um. So I so I think any time that it looks like it might be something in another movie where a character would break or it would get dark, everybody wants some very carefully pulls back from that and says, mm-hmm. you know what? Ultimately, even though this guy might look like he's being an asshole, he really means well and he's a nice guy. Um. Yeah, and they don't pick on the point, Michael actually. Showalter character. Yeah. Even that, yeah, that Michael Showalter guy who you think he's totally going to be the outcast, and he is—he's the guy who's arguably the least—not arguably. I mean, he is the least likable character there. Um, yeah. But they still kind of take him under their they wing. Accept him in a way. Yeah. Yeah. They give him right. They only kick him out when he gets them kicked out of a bar. It's like, and all you, right, dude. And you can see too that that guy's an asshole out of. Like insecurity, he's not right. a superior person. He's not. Yeah. He's not lording over. It. He just thinks he is out of insecurity and obviously self doubt. And he's somebody that you should, I think, feel sorry for. Uh, and he's overcompensated by just being a complete dick about his ability. And I think they understand that and they kind of accept him anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So for me, it was ultimately it was just this warm portrait of just likable guys. And it never became a coming-of-age story because it didn't want to give us a lesson, and it didn't want age to come to these people. And that was kind of the point, uh, is that this isn't coming-of-age. It's just a straight-up celebration of the carelessness, the affection, and the joy of being young and being with other people who share your passion. And that was kind of the whole point of them going to these different cliques and and seeing – you know, it's Richard Linkletter showing us that people that age – and there's even jokes about tribalism. You know, they form these little groups of people who share passions w- with each other. Um, and I thought that that was such a warm bit of insight into what another movie might show as cliques that exclude one another. Like, oh, yeah. the, the jocks hate the theater people and the stoners hate the jocks. And this movie didn't do that. They all just loved each other and enjoyed each other's music. And it was just they find so, commonalities. Yeah, and it was just so warm and, and – uh, and, and just upbeat about humanity, I, I thought. Um, yeah. And I think it's – do you like – go on, Tom. Oh, I, I just I, – it just really felt like Richard Linkletter has grown up, and rather than trying to be hip uh, and, a, and an indie slacker, he just wanted to show this loving portrait of, of youth uh, without – you know prejudices and like the fact that for instance dale was black i thought when they were going to go to the country bar and this is just my preconception of the way that a lot of movies sort of telegraph this sort of thing i thought they were going to go to the country bar and there was going to be some sort of like racial incident dale being black never came up i'm the only one as a viewer who noticed that (laughs) like that was just it never came up in the movie well that's what i'm saying this was this was not a movie that cared about the fact that a guy dale's age in the 80s probably got called a nigger at some point in texas and it was miserable for him this movie wasn't about that this movie is about how dale a black guy was accepted by a team of entirely white baseball players in texas and no one ever said anything about him being black um and i love that about it i mean it just made me happy to watch that 
But there's a, like a yeah. But there's a token. <laughs> There's a token black guy on the team in Dazed and Confused. I mean, he's doing the same thing. I mean, I, and I'm guessing isn't that weird for you? Does that not matter to you at all? I'm, my guessing is is that Richard Linklater probably knew like one black guy. He was probably on maybe a baseball team, and there was one black guy, and it meant a lot to Richard Linklater. And so he puts the guy in his movies. I don't know. And no, I don't find that all right. weird at all. I don't find if I don't like I said I don't remember Dazed and Confused being this joyous uh, and being this positive about people. I remember it being slightly more cynical with a slackery angle. I could be misremembering it. Um, I also – I don't know. Is this the case of Dazing Views? One thing, too, that I really admire about this movie, very much set in the 80s, and basically at this point in Texas, the 80s were still the 70s. There was not a trace of kitsch in this movie. You know, this Everything we see, it's a very period piece. And the shirts and the, the haircuts and the mustaches uh, and the places they go, all very 70s. But this movie never wanted to make fun of how it looked. It, it what do you never, mean by kitsch? Just making fun of? Well, kit, the, the 70s were tacky, Dingus. Like you, uh, well, you definitely see that in Dazed and Confused because of the, the character that – one of these characters is supposed to have been Mitch. Uh-huh. Um, you, you see the way in his hair is, and the way his parents, the decor in their, in the in the houses are supposed to be. You definitely see kitsch as far as that's concerned, I think. But it might just be um, a production design. I don't know what the difference between uh, you know how you divide kitsch and production design. Uh, well, okay. To be fair, I don't think you can describe the like. What would have looked like in the 70s, the current fashion, going forward where it falls out of fashion, we call it kitsch. Uh, so when they – in the 70s, the word kitsch probably would apply to stuff from the Eisenhower era. I don't know. But what struck me, for instance, that first – when they go to, to the, that first bit where they go to Sound Machine uh, to, to that dance, that I guess it's a disco. Right, uh, yeah. The movie didn't at all want to make it look silly, and instead – it had it, it it showed us that this is a place where people go to have fun and it showed the actors having fun the dancing by the way the movie wasn't showing us that the dancing looked silly the movie was showing us that these people are really enjoying dancing this way and furthermore it was really selling the sexiness of these young people and i'm thinking specifically of that bit where those five college girls come walking up in slow motion you know, in a Charlie's Angels movie, when McGee did it, that sort of thing would be like kitsch, like goofy, like look how silly it is in a period piece, although Charlie's Angels was in a period piece. Um, but when they're walking up in slow motion, that's just straight up sexy. There is no ridicule about the way that they're dressed or the way that their hair is these feathered bangs. Um, it, it was just a straight up – it didn't feel race. like kitsch when it happened. Exactly. So, so, when so what's there, the difference between the, the car he's driving, the albums he's, he's – the, the records he has and how he's carrying them, his uh, turntable, what okay. he's carrying, how he's looking at the asses of the girls that he's driving past? What's the difference between that and kitsch? I don't understand what you mean kitsch because is, uh, cause like, all of these things are things that I've seen – you know. Absolutely, from Days and Confused, including the way the club was painted, as opposed to the way the club was painted in Days and Confused. I mean, they're they're exactly the same. So I don't know what the difference between production design and kitsch is, as far as you are defining it. It's a tone thing. You look at an Alan Alan Rudolph movie, the way he shoots uh, Baltimore, or where, like you look at the way that Alan Rudolph does tacky production design. He's making fun of it. 
he, he's saying, look how ridiculous this stuff is. Let's revel in the kitschiness of it, the goofiness of it, uh, how ugly and tacky it is. He's sort of celebrating uh, ugliness in a way, and, and I think that's kind of what kitsch is. But I don't think there's – So this is more of an intention of the director as far as he's, he's celebrating it because he loves it. He's and that's the impression – that's just the impression I got from – that's the tone that I felt was was being expressed in that first – uh, sound machine s- sequence. Like any other movie that goes to a, a disco in the 70s is going to, like, even, I, I don't, like, doesn't Saturday Night Live look, ri- not Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Fever look ridiculous? Like, I don't know. I haven't I seen think it. so, but I would, I would go more toward <laughs> Boogie so. Nights to think of something that really sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, celebrates it rather than making it uh, silly. Uh, I, I think Boogie Nights has more of a sense of this is how it was back then. Isn't it kind of silly? Oh, really? Uh, whereas, whereas, yeah. Whereas, I think everybody wants some has a sense of this is how it is. Look how awesome it is, and how everybody's having fun, and how stylish everybody looks. So, and and I'm not. I'm just asking to try to define what kitsch means. Do you think Boogie Nights is more kitschy than this? Yeah, I think Boogie Nights is kind of uh, aware of. Yeah, I think Boogie Nights is playing with how silly everybody looked back then. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. It's just a tone thing. It's a feeling I get. Uh, I mean, Boogie Nights is kind of a there. There are certain uh, grotesque things about Boogie Nights as far as what happens in the characters. Um, mm. So it's not quite a you know Boogie Nights is never wanting to glamorize that that moment anyway. Like it doesn't have that regard for the porn industry. Uh, Boogie Nights is is a little bit down on it and where it's going to bring people. Uh, so there's that aspect to the tone as well. Um, well, let me know. let me ask you about a different movie then. Okay. Um, because as I was watching this, I was thinking about another movie that didn't land with me, but really you really love Tom, and that's Virgin Suicides. Um, and uh, do you think that the as far as period is concerned, um, Virgin Suicides lands with this more? I don't think of Virgin Suicides as being at that concerned with the period so much as a story. Um, so, uh, Cause, yeah. Because all I could think about was the music in Virgin Suicides when I was watching this and, and the way that you reacted to it as, as opposed to the way I reacted to it and how it seemed like you, you seemed to have more of a, of a touchstone with it or, or, and I, and I figured as I was watching this, that I think Tom is going to land with everybody wants some more than I am going to. Yeah. I mean, like these people were a little bit older now. Like I watching this, I was thinking these are what my older cousins were doing and I was a little bit too young to understand. Okay. But, um, but it it did definitely. And I imagine Kelly, you're the same way. Like a lot of this definitely resonated with my direct experience and recollections. Yeah. Uh, and in a respectful way, here's another thing, Dingus. When you see like a video game in a movie, often the director knows nothing about the video game, and he's just going to put in a reference and maybe show somebody playing it. And mm-hmm. Richard Linkletter knows – like that Space Invaders bit wasn't some throwaway thing. <laughs> Richard Linkletter either knows Space Invaders or he knows someone to tell him, hey, how would somebody back then have talked about Space Invaders? You know, When you have that scene where he's explaining that they don't shoot you when you're on the very bottom – that was not like, a, hey, look how goofy video games were back then. That was, this is how people thought and talked about Space Invaders when they played it. Right. You know, and that kid talks about, Looking I spent two hundred dollars on this last summer. You know, this wasn't just making fun of old-looking arcade games. This is a loving recreation of of how they existed for people back then. Um, 
Yeah, not even a metaphor, but like this is how you win at Space Invaders. Yeah, like yeah. Actual... Also, something else I really liked about this movie, like its rhythms, is just I really liked how things sort of fizzled out a lot, and just um, like they strike out at that one bar. Like it's not just about them getting laid repeatedly every time, but they have like an off night. And then um, I also really liked how Jake, like he only hooks up with Beverly after that other thing falls through with that other girl that he meets. Like it's not just a love story where it's like two people come together. It's just, it just sort of has its own rhythms. Well, talking about the rhythms too, Kelly one, that's also something like I remember, uh, maybe school of rock, but I don't know that Richard Linklater has ever been this energetic. Maybe like it just felt really snappy. It's a two hour movie, but for me, it felt really snappy, just really well paced. Um, and it's I his dandelion wine. The, is it a Bradbury reference? I don't understand that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Dandelion wine uh, is better paced than other Bradbury? Well, it's all love. It's his warm, fuzzy, normal, okay. nothing. Well, nothing I meant that happened. more as, a, as, a, as talking about Linklater's craft as a, as a filmmaker, uh, as far as the way that it was edited, the pacing, the transition from scene to scene. Uh, and again, I haven't seen Days and Fuse or Slacker in a while, but I'm guessing that this is a lot more refined as far as pacing. Uh, than those two movies and editing, uh, and that's just something else I appreciated about it. Is just look how far he's come. Uh, well, as far as pacing is concerned, I would uh, I would agree with you that it's really well paced, but um, I would prefer Before Sunrise as far as the way the character pacing is concerned, um, because I I just don't. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know quite how to handle the uh the way I react to the way the what the characters are doing in this movie and why I, why I care about them this uh, one of the things I do love about this movie and I will say this is that it's not a baseball movie uh, you know, oh, I was um, dreading. I was so worried that it was going to be they were going to get to like the big game or something and I was going to have no idea what was going on. So yeah, I'm with you there. It's so not a baseball movie. Thank God. <laughs> And you, you were kind of messing with me on this. Oh, you know, it's a, you know, that whole thing about Moneyball. Well, it's a movie about, a movie your people do don't really, you don't have to like baseball to like this movie. And I thought you were just messing with me until I finally saw the movie. And then I kept waiting for the movie to become a baseball movie. Yeah. And it never did. And there's one, like, this really great practice session that goes on. Um, and who's the Billy Crudup guy again? The Billy Crudup guy. I really love that guy. Tyler Hawkland. Yeah, that's his name. But the character's name is McReynolds. Tyler Hawkland. And I think he's from Teen Wolf, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? really? Yeah. Like, I think some of these guys are – some. Of, I think there's a lot of TV actors in here uh, who should be out of TV, I feel. I, I, love, I feel like ladies like this movie and that character a lot. I, I love the way he handles the whole movie, the way he handles his character for the whole movie, or the way that uh, Linklater edits his character for the movie, however you want to put it. Because the way he handles that whole uh, practice, in in addition to the idea of, uh, you know, and you know this is going to happen during that team meeting where he stands up and going, yeah, uh, optional means mandatory, you know. We're going to all be there at the practice, and if you're not, then you shouldn't be on the team. Um, and the way he handles dealing with the pitcher, uh, and then, I mean, all of that. I love that character. That character is great. And the way that Linklater edits 
and directs all of that uh, baseball stuff is great. And the way he fits it into the movie is absolutely great. I love that because they kept getting nervous, Tom, that it wasn't going to become, all right, we're just marching toward a a movie wherein they all get into their uh, dress uniforms and then have a big game. But that never happens, and I love that about this movie. I do love that about this movie. And they also played things. I think what's going on there with McReynolds is it's just the idea that he's the senior. He's the yeah. guy, you know, they're freshman. He's the guy who's been there a long time, and he's the sort of the de facto head of the household, of sort of the father of this little dysfunctional family of baseball playing dudes. Uh, and they look up to him, and he's got this certain confidence and this ability to deal with people like Jay Niles. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just think that comes through, and that. You know, all of these guys, like I've only – I've seen it twice, but I, I even I think after the first time, even if I didn't remember their names, I have a pretty clear sense. Like when you Phil. when you look at a, a cast st- – yeah, still a of the point. cast, yeah. you're like, oh my god, how am I going to keep all these guys straight? And even as, as it's rolling all of them out when Jake first gets to the house, you're like, whoa, this is too many. What? But by the time it was over, I had a clear sense for who everybody was and where they stood and what they were like. Um it just it, like I, they were just also. I liked all of them. I did too. There was even that Jay Niles guy. I felt sorry, but I, yeah, I I liked all of them as well. And I, I could sort of see, and I imagine a lot of people could. I could see those kind of archetypes amongst some people that I knew as a, as a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's just that when when you're that age, people sort of fill those roles a lot of times, and there's those types of characters. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, let's. Did it get? Uh, did it have any serious points? Because I, I think it's obvious there are a few points where you can tell. Okay, here's a message, right? Uh, how did you guys feel about those moments, or did you even see them? Uh, did you take anything from them? Like, what did you feel about when it decided to f- give some kind of message? I don't, <laughs> boy, I don't uh, even know what to say about that. that. Um, the movie? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I thought there were, let's see, three, I can see three points where you can get a kind of a serious message, and they're 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 kind of quiet. I mean, they're they're smallish, but I thought fairly pointed. Three points. Three well, moments where Richard Linklater is saying, "Here's a point, capital P." Like, <laughs> you're gonna learn more from the weekend before you start college than you will that first day anyway, so you can just sleep then. <laughs> Well, that I mean, obviously. Okay, Kelly, well, let me ask that. you this: Why does he end the First movie? The- why does he end the movie where he ends it and the way he ends it? Do you think? And I'm not sure I have an answer uh, for this. Because what's written on the board is the last thing Jake needs to know <laughs> before he craps out for the day. You mean the sleep? I think. Well, okay, no, my. I, think th- okay, I have a weird answer for that. It's like, it, oh, go on. But, I was going to talk about the, the two of them on rafts in the water at the end. Yeah, sure. There's that as well. Yeah. Uh, but Dingus, so uh, why do you think the movie ended that way, though, Dingus? Do you do you have a sense for that? Because again, it's one where I'm not sure. It's the one that I think I know the. I have a theory. Okay, go. It's yeah, like all his movies, all his movies cover different points of his life, mm-hmm. like uh, Boyhood and Days and Confused, and so this is the uh, the college point. Part, and then the next movie that takes place chronologically is Waking Life because he's sleeping. <laughs> so that's the next. It's going to be four years from now because any of the things that happen in the classroom don't make any difference to him. I mean, when the professor walks in and the catcher dude goes, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Um, 
I mean, it, one of the one of the things one of our listeners, Chris Markinson, said is is this feels like a movie just about guys who want to get laid. Um, and when they get into the classroom at long last, because the, this movie is all about a countdown to that. And the uh, and the title card at the end of the last movie was this is the end of uh, or this is right before graduation. It seems like everything that happens in the interim that isn't isn't socially involved any of the academics doesn't matter. All that matters is social. So I think that a lot of what Richard Linklater is saying from looking at Slacker, Dazed and Confused this week, and um, and this movie is that all that matters is social and academics doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that – I mean you could extrapolate – I'm not – I think you're having to make a lot of assumptions to extrapolate that. Uh because we don't well, know. It's we, not an assumption that they fall asleep at the beginning of their very first class. We don't know which of these guys is is smart or is getting good grades. Which one is going to become a pro ball player? This movie doesn't tell us anything about their futures, and I don't think this movie cares the same way that they don't care. The countdown is to is is to the very first moment where they all have to be in class. This is kind of at least for for uh for for Jake. This is the last moment before he has to get into the educational process of, of higher education, you know, going to right. college, dealing with the rest of your life. And the countdown is until that moment in his first class with his buddy who's a dumbass who says, who's that fuck, when the professor obviously walks in. Right. Um, and I think what's written on the board, even though it sounds like the theme of a, of a senior prom, I mean, I think what is written on the board is important. Um, that bit about frontiers are where you find them, the implication yeah. being – that here, this is the frontier of what he's going to do with the rest of his life. You know, he's beginning college, that things are going to have to get serious. He can't just worry about getting laid every day and every night. Like, this is a frontier for him. What choices is he, is he going to make now that he's in college? Uh, that he's beginning a class, an educational process. That he's met someone with whom he might fall in love. Um, you know, the, these are, I think the point Richard Linkletter is making is this is a frontier for him. You know, a, a first love, uh, a college career or a college education, uh, a career in baseball. You know, now you get serious about these things. Here's a girl you really like. You know, are you just looking for someone who's going to sleep with you that night or are you looking for someone to connect with? You know, here's an opportunity to to, to invest uh, to to uh, take advantage of higher learning. You know, here's an opportunity to focus on baseball and maybe be seen by a scout. Uh and yeah, and he lays his head down and sleeps because he's hungover because we've, we've had right. a pretty intensive last three days. But he smiles like he, there's this. Yeah. I mean, I think the point of it is that sort of little contented smile that he gives, thinking about Beverly, thinking about his new friends. Um, and yeah. I'm not sure, Dingus, you might be right. Like maybe he does go on to be a guy who isn't very bright and doesn't do well in college. We don't know. But I think the point is, this is a this is a frontier for him. This is where he gets to start making those choices. It's not well. I I kind of like that you said that because I know that that that's one of the things that you um, that's a through line in a lot of things that you've said is that things that are that are uh, that a professor says or writes or, or talks about are and there's a reason that a director puts that right. and I, and I really like that you say that. Um, but I uh, I think why I said what I said is that. Carrying over what Richard Linklater has said from previous movies is that that doesn't necessarily matter to him. Um, well, I'm with you 110% there, Dingus, because I don't know if you guys remember, but it, uh, Boyhood, you didn't see it, Kelly Wand. 
Boyhood, yeah. which I didn't like for many reasons, one of the reasons I didn't like it, Boyhood wasn't this Animal House-style joyous celebration of, of youth and carelessness. Boyhood was about the growth of a child, and it ends with him deciding to, to drop acid and hang out with some chick he just met rather than go to orientation for college. And in the context of that movie and the tone he was trying to set – I felt like, you know, this is a bad life decision to make at this point. I'm not really comfortable with the movie ending this way, and I think Richard Linklater wants me to look at it approvingly. And uh, Sorry, Richard Linklater, I'm not with you on the end of Boyhood. I'll look at it approvingly in this, though. Well, yeah, yeah like that. I mean, I, I, this I think he's making the right tone. call. Yeah. But also, too, Jay, this is – okay, this is what I get my guess for one of the other messages is that just because you're good at something athletically doesn't mean you're dumb. Okay. <laughs> I think Jake, it's also the message well, illegally blind. Well, I, I think that's true too, based on their phone call too. Is that you know yeah, Beverly just, talks dude. about? Well, I thought jocks were, you know, and he's like dumb, you know, and they so they. I really kind of like that phone call a lot, um, but I, I think this this movie more relates to the idea of Richard Linklater's cyclical version of uh, or vision of the way life works. Uh, because Mitch, you know, Mitch is the guy who gets paddled like mercilessly in um, in Dazed and Confused, and I think the Mitch character is Jake in this, and he's like just cycling through, and cycling again. through, and cycling through. I think it's just about cycles more than anything, um, and you know. Uh, and Dingus, I, I think that that then gets, I think, perfectly your observation. I don't, and I doubt Linkletter would disagree, but that gets perfectly to that inner tube conversation that I think you were going to mention. Yeah, yeah. And what's the so? What, what did you call from that? Um, it, it's it's the way that he's talking about Sisyphus, and that and she's asking him, well, wait, what was your essay? And he talks about Sisyphus and how. Um, Sisyphus isn't necessarily a negative thing. Uh, it's, it's an, uh, opportunity. And so, uh, w that was one of the things I really liked about this movie was the way that he didn't just go, duh, <laughs> but he talked about Sisyphus, but he is that there is kind of a trope of the smart jock that like crops up, you know, and gets to talk to the, 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 you know, the cute, um, uh, the cute smart girl. Uh, but I did like that Sisyphus thing, that, that his idea that uh, what the gods have actually done is given him an opportunity. Well, and Dingus, because what, what you just said about cycles, if, if Richard Linkletter yeah. is indeed talking about cycles, you know, the, the Greek mythology yeah. about cycles is Sisyphus rolling the rock up and it rolls back down. Exactly. And whereas other people see that as a message about futility, Richard Linkletter has this character saying, no, it gives us something to focus on. Right. And, you know, if we feel passionate about it, which is as Beverly observes, uh, that's a beautiful thing that we can feel passionately about something. And it's um, Linkletter's response to Dingus. That's, that's kind of why <laughs> yeah, when Dingus is very good. Yeah, you're, you're, that's very yeah. good. That's very good, Kelly. Excellent. Now, here's the other bit that I loved that um, – wh what did you guys think, if anything, he was getting at with Willoughby? The 30-year-old the, the who was running around from college to college trying to basically hijack a college childhood on a baseball team. That he was stuck in that mode and he hadn't advanced, maybe. But he, I don't know. <laughs> it well, seemed he, like that was, yeah. Because well, that's he, one moment where it looks like it's going to get serious. Is when he gets called off the field and you're like, oh, is he going to get busted for you know, drug possession or is this is this guy going to prison or what? Yeah, right. Well, he seems at peace with himself even at the end. 
But... Well, do, do you remember what he says when uh, when he wa- is walking off the field? The last line that he has. It's about uh, oh, that's right. Having that's a good time, not how long or something. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Not a long not time. Not a long yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, and that, that I don't know that that's necessarily an existential observation about life, but I think that's an existent, that's an observation about about being young, about youth. Um, yeah. This this idea of, of you're living in the moment, and you, there's this carelessness about it, and there's you're not worried about the fact that the class is in three days. You know, let the title card worry about that. Uh, it's Logan's life. <laughs> well, it's also a grown-up version of the McConaughey character, and. Um, the uh, Cole Hauser character. I mean, it's it's sort of a grown-up version of those guys because the Cole Hauser character is looking is you know has failed his senior year. Now he gets to paddle a bunch of guys again. Um, and the Matthew McConaughey character has a decent job, but he's still driving around. You know, in, in his what is his credo? It's like you know, I get older, but the high school g- girls they stay the same age. Um, but th- this guy seems to be like. Almost a, the next level of uh, I don't know reincarnation of those two weirdos. Like, yeah, I'm gonna keep being a kid because even Finn says, you know, maybe he just wanted to keep playing baseball because Finn seems to be seems to be the guy who understands. Like, look, I know I'm not gonna be able to play baseball for the rest of my life, and you know, I met a couple of girls here who are interesting. Why are you guys fucking it up for me? I mean, as as weird as Finn is, he's kind of my favorite character in this movie. Well, I think Glenn Powell is that the actor's name? Yeah, that guy just I thought nailed yeah. it. Just, uh, yeah. he was he was he sort pops. of the, he pops off the yeah. screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and he has to. It's a very feisty role. Oh, could you imagine someone less capable in that part? Like that could have gone south so badly. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine Ben Foster doing well. <laughs> <in> the, <laughs> but the thing with it's Willoughby that I like is there's a sense that he's been that he keeps getting cast out, uh, and he keeps wanting to go back to this period in time, and he's kind of. Uh, uh, and he kind of represents the fact that you can't go back. You can't capture that. You know, it's it's not something that once you get past that point, as, as much as you strive to go back and try to experience it, you're you're going to get cast out again. You know, it's yeah. you're not there for I'll a long that. time. Uh, and he's even got that bit. And and this again is another thing. Like nobody could accuse Richard Linklater, by the way, of slacking off in terms of soundtracks. Like, I think Richard Linklater so invested in what music he, he gets uh, for his movies, and that really shows here, I, I believe. Um, but like that Space Invaders moment, when when they're uh, when they're uh, smoking, when they're getting stoned with that, that bong, and they're trying to take in that huge hit, the, the song that's being played in the background is a super obscure Pink Floyd song. Um, and I don't know I can't imagine why anybody would license that, but but the fact that he has Willoughby talking about the chord progression in that song, and I don't know music, but I certainly am familiar with that little bit from getting stoned and sitting and listening to Pink Floyd as a kid. You know, it's one of their early weirder albums before stuff like The Wall. But to have yeah. that song in there and to have Willoughby dissecting a specific moment in it, like that again, there's no kitsch there. That was somebody who at one point really loved this song. And listened to it and thought about it a lot and wrote lines for this character Willoughby to, to say about it. Um, but in that conversation, he's got this great bit about finding the tangents within the framework. Um, and that kind of, I think, gets at – and this is maybe pushing it a bit too hard. But I think that gets at what the movie is saying is that the framework is life, and what's important about life isn't 
the overall framework. It isn't the overall thing. It's not the big, huge messages and the philosophies. It's it's the moments of joy, the little interesting threads that we follow, um, those tangents that we care about. That, that that's kind of the point. And and he gives Willoughby this whole line about, you know, it's all about finding the tangents within the framework. Um, and Willoughby's he's not an idiot, by the way. He's not like a a, a dumb guy. Like he's, I don't think anybody could have a character reading Carl Sagan. And as anything other than a representation of, hey, this guy's really smart. Like Sagan is, uh, Sagan isn't a joke. Like that's a serious thing to have a character talking and about. And he's a mood. But don't you think that's a that's a silly shorthand for him to do immediately? Hey, read this. It's right here. I mean, no, it's the, the first it, thing he does. Isn't it made me want to look a little up? bit. Isn't that a little not just shorthand, but uh, a shortcut? For the director to go, hey, uh, read Carl Sagan. I'm going to go over here and have a beard. No, not at all. I mean, I, I mean, it's not. He's not. It's not a dissertation of Sagan. But what it made me want to do, is look up what Chapter Nine in Cosmos is, because I doubt it was just some throwaway line. You know, because he says, "Read Chapter Nine; it'll blow your mind." Uh, so there I, is text in this movie. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, Kelly. So, so my over and under, because I, again, I just. Uh, as an ensemble piece, this was just a revelation for me. My over and under are other ensemble movies that I love, and it's very closely bracketed. Uh, I would put this underneath Royal Tenenbaums, but slightly above Rock and Rolla, because these are all movies where a, the director doesn't focus on just one character. I mean, they all kind of have certainly Rock and Roll. Well, is there a main character in Rock and Roll? I guess Gerard Butler might. No, Gerard uh, but, Who? All right, go ahead. Who would be? Well, I don't know. Who would be the lead character in Rock and Roll? Well, uh, what's his name? Kebble. Toby Kebble. Toby Kebble's the he, main character. He comes in so late, though, to be. I'm thinking of like as a narrator. Like obviously, in uh, Everybody Wants Some, uh, 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 Jay. Jay, Blake Jenner is the actor's name, which I keep thinking. Of. But Blake Jenner. Yeah, Jacob. Uh, he was a regular on Glee, and he got that role through a reality TV show, which I thought was weird. What's a reality TV show? They, they they did on Glee. They would do a, a something called the Glee program or something, where it'd be like American Idol, and the winner of the season would be cast for a certain number of episodes in Glee. Uh, and they did two seasons of this, and Blake Jenner's the guy who won the second season, and therefore got a like eight episode uh, contract with Glee, and then they renewed it and made him a recurring character. Like that's how that's how we know who Blake Jenner is enough to to have him cast in this movie. Oh, okay. Did you like him? Oh my god, I loved I loved everyone in this, but I loved him especially. Yeah, he's just so just easygoing and charming and likable and just a, a real handsome fella and and that by the way, the the musical bits they did at the credits at the end, uh I, you, yeah. I think you could clearly see the guy can sing and dance. Like <laughs> it's like yeah. very comfortable doing that. Um They're talented people. Very yeah, yeah. I mean, did this they is write the them, movie, or did he write them? This yeah. is sort of movie where if I see that one of them is in another movie, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I, I really want to see what that is. Uh, so Blake Jenner, Glenn Powell, that Taylor Hockner dude, whatever. Um, even uh, Justin Street, I think his name was, the goofball playing Jay Niles. I really liked him. Even though I agree with Dingus, he looked like he was out of a Saturday Night Live sketch. Uh, that's how some people seemed in, in real life, too. It was a, always that that's amazing. That guy's in a different movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> L- looking at that guy's credits, it's like uh, he's got like fifth, like ten, eight, eight or nine, like th- this is in production now. Credits. That's Good, killer Good. dude. 
See, I hope they all do. Yeah. He looks so. It, it just. Yeah. I, I just think that character is such a weird, like Saturday Night Live, like sketch character. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. It's so weird. Why didn't they release this wider? Because no one. No like one famous is in it. I don't think it was ever going to make any money. Like no one famous. He left in it. Uh, it doesn't. I, it's. I think it's a tough. Well, is it a tough sell? I guess, but it's, it's from the. But Disney. Well, first of all, it's classic. So I would have expected them to go. Oh, it'll be another Days Confused. Well, that is because I went and watched the trailer. I mean, that's clearly how they were oh, yeah, selling it. It's from the director of Dazed and Confused in school. Right, but they buried it. I, it seemed like I thought. Yeah, it didn't open wide. Like it never hit more than like 400 theaters. So it's definitely. Linkletter. He walked away from Incredible Mr. Limpet remake. <laughs> to do this, so that's why. Thank God. Good for him for doing the things that he wants to do. I mean, yeah, I didn't particularly care for watching Boyhood all the way through, um, and I got sort of the same feeling of watching, you know, this after watching Dazed and Confused. Um, but good for him for doing that, you know. The only serious link letter I like is Fast Food Nation, and then otherwise... I only oh, like yeah, that's him. That's right. Yeah, it's really... I'm not crazy about it. It's a little too heavy-handed for me. It's it's on my side, so How I How could like you it. not like the Before Sunrise movies? I mean, I love those. I haven't seen them. Things. I haven't seen them. They look too, too relationship-y. <sighs> that's As why opposed to them so much. Because they feel so much more honest than this. I don't... Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's really great to talk to you guys about this because um, because you highlight the things that are really good about them. Uh, this, but I don't care about a baseball team that lives in two frat houses. And uh, there's this whole thing at the beginning about a waterbed that might fall through the ceiling, but that's never going to pay off. And none of these things are ever going to pay off. And then we're going to go off to a party and blah, that's blah. the trick. I just don't happen to real life. I, don't, I, I quit. I could not care less about fraternities. Thing is, uh, did you see growing up? Did you see Animal House? Yeah. Did Animal House have much of an impact on you as a kid? No, it did not. Okay. Because Kelly, one, I'm guessing it did on you. Like you must have loved it. Maybe say thank you, God, when it flew through the window. What? Well, you know, you know, Chris Markinson says that um, it seems like a ripoff of Wayne's World. You think that it did much better, especially the singing in the car bit. Oh, that Sugar Hill game? Ew, gosh, no, I thought that was – I don't remember. What do they sing in Wayne's World? The Queen song. Yeah, the Queen song. Um, so it seemed like a ripoff of singing um, the Queen song in Wayne's World. I- for what it's worth, I'm, I'm with sort of Mark said that I never like uh, singing in, in a car scenes in movies. They always bore the shit out of me. There's like, and I always, because I always go, I could just do this on the way to the movie. Like well, it was distracting. Drive to me singing. Yeah, what's distracting to me is that there's this great, weird, like, mashup of uh, um, a couple of NBC news anchors singing this song where somebody just took like words from each of them to for this particular song. And I'm so distracted by watching them do this song. Um, They're too good. <laughs> they sing it too well. I could have, I, I, I wish he'd put the rest of the song in there. <laughs> like, I was like, going to watch that all day. Yeah. I loved that bit. Uh, and it was such a too, like, it, it's so kind of weird to think back that, you know, Sugar Hill gang is kind of, I, I don't know about the birth of rap, but that this is what yeah. rap was for a lot. I mean, this is yeah, this right. is the roots of rap back then. Like, and there's these white guys in Texas, a baseball team. I mean, Dale was yeah. technically black, but uh, isn't that this, weird though? Having the black guy in the back just like chiming uh, around, then doesn't that feel weird at all? They're doing this uh, the Sugar Hill Gang thing, and 
Every group of people's different. You never know. I know, I know, but it still feels weird. Why does it, it feels weird because he's black? Because he's not the guy. He doesn't get to chime in at all except for one point. He does. They all do. He does. <laughs> no, but barely. They take turns, basically. It's almost like this team effort, like like playing baseball, I thought. Yeah. Right. He's one of the guys in the whole movie, I thought. Yeah. All yeah. The, consistently. And he gets the whole bit about the, watching the Knicks on the color TV and doing the little square. No, he gets his little moment. And he acts like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's right. like, all right, whatever, square dance. He knows how to do it. <laughs> no, no, it's wrap. fine. It's it's well integrated, but it feels weird to me. All right, well, Dingus, what were your overs and unders then? Uh, my over is, uh, and this is largely based on just the way that I felt that this movie dealt with groups of kids or people in schools. Um, and my over came to me immediately when I watched them riding the uh, mattress down the stairs and my over would be real genius because of the way that the stairs were um, uh, iced and that was turned into a sled run. So uh, I I think real genius and this isn't very closely bracketed because I think real genius is much funnier than this, but this is, this movie isn't intended to be as funny as real genius. But I just like Real Genius more. And so under, I would put Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, because of the idea of uh, somebody, you know, getting their high school or their school experience and uh, processing it into a story. And that's exactly the template I was expecting here because Fast Times at Ridgemont High, there's the whole thing about the, the pregnancy and the abortion and like it gets this whole dark angle. And I kept waiting for that here. Yeah. And it didn't do it. Um, right, right. Beverly never goes dark here. Um, and that, that I do kind of like their little bit of a romance and that feeling of the the days or the, the hours. And, and one of the nice things about this movie is that time compression. Um, and I often think about this idea of the uh, summer camp compression. Like you can feel like you have a whole relationship within summer camp. Uh, and the, And they have a whole – like relationship develop within the hours before class starts. Um, and I, and I kind of like the way that that develops. Kelly one, what do you have for an over and under? My over is bad news bears, but not the link letter one because my, I went with kids facing adulthood movies as my theme. Do the kids in the bad news bears have to face adulthood? They just get to be kids on little league. Yeah, but they have to deal with math, Al. That's facing adulthood a little early. <laughs> and they drink beer He's as well. That's drunk. that, drinking beer is an adult thing. They drink beer. Yeah, they're grown ups. And Kelly Leak rides a motorcycle onto the field, and he joins out of spite to like piss off the coach who's mean to him. Is that Carol know. Haley's character? Yeah, Kelly Leak, bro. Wow, you remember his name? You remember his name because he has your name. I forget Tatum O'Neill's name. Amanda something. Wow. Anyway, my under's The Wildlife with Chris Penn, a spiritual successor to uh, Past Times at Richmond High. It was a movie. The Wildlife. Dingus, have you heard of The Wildlife with Chris Penn? I have not. Hmm. Elon Michael Smith is in it. Remember that guy from Weird Science who wasn't Anthony Michael Hall? Don't remember. But apparently it's not quite as good as uh, Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, but everybody wants some. Something that reminded me of my life in it is football players are always skunking my bitches out from under me, Tom. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm cold, and my 
Django from 1980, Kelly Wan. Nicely done. Uh, skunk my bitches. That's 80. That's certainly how I used to talk back then, yeah. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let's just <laughs> I did learn a word, by the way, in Everybody Wants Some, that I kind of want to start using, but it has some vulgarity in it. The word is fuckwithery. Yeah, that was good. Dipshitification, I won't use, but I see what he's going. I see what he's saying. But, but fuck withery, just the the act fuck of withery. fucking with someone. That's just so perfect. I like, like this week's three by three. Kelly Wand is some serious fuck withery. That's true. It sounds <laughs> British too, like a barony. Like if you say it quickly enough, someone might not realize you dropped an f bomb. It's some. It's what Mary Poppins would say. If she <laughs> <laughs> Bella broke while she was flying down. Right, she if there was an R-rated Mary Poppins, that would be in there. Yeah, Absolutely. or a porn version, which would have the same title. And now you just made it weird. What? And speaking of which, three best guards in movies was this week's Jamboree, Fuck Withery. Three <laughs> All right, three top. well, I'm introducing next week's topic, so I'll go first. My third favorite guard in a movie, <laughs> let me look up which one this was. Uh, I hate it. So, you hate the topic? Yeah. yeah. It's just weirdly specific. I have some good – I'm happy with my – Oh, movie. I like this topic. Some, really? I, all right. I, I, I spent all week thinking Final about state. it. And I spent all week thinking about ways that I could mess with you on it. And then I turned out – to just No, nah, I just went straight with it. Got because, excited? No, no. It wasn't exci- It wasn't that. I was like, like, can I do something with shin guards? I mean, I, I would – I did – I thought so much during this week because there's so much you can do with just that word and then i just ended up just liking the topic and having such a great time watching the movies that i picked so thank you kelly well i wouldn't go as far as dingus but uh yeah i like my picks but it's a i still it's it's a weird topic i don't know yeah um well i meant guards the basketball position so the, oh no uh oh i'm gonna get oh, you didn't mean though. shin guards all right <laughs> no yeah. i meant deodorant well, my number three pick is a guard who's referred to as a henchman, which I'm not real comfortable with because he's dressed like a guard. He's totally dressed like a security guard. Uh, it's the guy who gets run over by the steamroller in Austin Powers, uh, and then we go to the scene where his family is being informed that he's been killed uh, because he's a henchman for Dr. Evil, and the whole point is you know, henchmen have families too, and this is just a job for them. You shouldn't kill them. Uh, I don't remember which Austin Powers movie that is, though. It's got to be the first one. Does that sound right? Yeah, because that's a pretty premium gag. <laughs> did they give him? Did they give the family the body in like a a wrapping paper tube or something? I don't. They, there's. I just watched the clip on YouTube. They they call the family, and she gets a phone call, and then she has to tell her son that his stepdad has been killed by a steamroller. Yeah, and he cries. It's the guy who screams and it takes 20 minutes. Right. Yeah, right? yeah, it's yeah. That little gag, yeah. And then they extend the gag to show that he had a family and that they're, they're now being notified that he's been killed. Is there a I, line about, oh, he was always slow, like the wife? There's I, not, I think you're talking about Michael McDonald, aren't you? Who's Michael McDonald from – who's that? Isn't from the that Bee Gees? the guy? Not the Bee not The, the actor? Bee- I, don't, I don't know who the actor is when there. I – I, I know I remember, I've seen him at the Groundlings. I think that's the guy. The guy who he, he just screams and then yeah. and there's a close up of him screaming and screaming and just standing there while the steamroller gets closer and closer and then it just rolls isn't over. Isn't it? Isn't his name Michael McDonald? It could be. Who's the lead singer in the Bee Gees? 
not the Bee Gees. You're thinking of, oh, jeez. I will be there. Yeah, that's the Bee Gees. Very good. <laughs> oh, you're right. That's not uh, Michael McGuire. Ha ha. I was actually just trolling Kelly Wan to see if you knew much about the Bee Gees. Ha ha. I got you. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how many Austin Powers is there going to be in this. Right, so well, you don't like, know which Austin Powers it is, but it's one of those. It sounds like the first one. It's the one with Elizabeth Hurley. Is she in the second one or the first one? She's in the first two. Oh, great. Well, that doesn't she help. Get, she gets killed off at the beginning of the second one because she turns out to be a robot. Okay, she's in the first one. Then. You're it's choosing the first that one. movie. Yeah. Is it International Man of Mystery? Oh, my God. Does yeah. it have that name? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Austin yeah. Powers, International Man of Mystery. All right. That's you your choice. Like Wait, so you I, like it? I have it. to write these things down, you guys. That's why I'm asking. I'm not saying I like it. I'm saying it's my third favorite guard. No, I want to hear Tom say the whole title, too. I All agree right, with but, you. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> See? Told you. Dickens, what's your third favorite guard in a movie? Now I worry that I call this actor some 70s. Oh, you worrying about the Michael McDonald fella? Yeah. Guy from the Bee Gees? <laughs> I'm sure he's a listener. Doobie right? Brothers. Bee Gees. Is it the Doobie, Doobie Brothers? That's yeah, it's a Doobie Brothers, dude. <sighs> but I know it's oh. like, I'm a bee. That's what he sounds like. But that's not the actor. Damn it, Tom. That we know of. Well, you're making me so mad right now. Uh, what happened? <laughs> Wait, why do you hate Barry yeah. Gibbs acting in Austin Powers? That's what I don't right. Understand. Anyway, my number three choice is uh, – here's a quote from it. Um, my mom just showed up. Is it okay if I leave early? Over. I like the sound of this. Yeah. My mom Sorry, showed like Goonies up. or something. This is I a, really want to guess it. Don't yeah. guess. This is a school I crossing card. Um, and this is uh, from a movie called Rushmore. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the moment he said school crossing guard, I was pretty sure that I got it. Yeah. yeah. This is uh, – uh, Max does – I mean I just love the way that this whole thing processes through uh, Max in this uh, – This is already a break of the topic, but go on. Oh, snap. So school crossing <laughs> is, doesn't count because this is what – They're not guarding. They're not guarding. The Wait, job are they guarding really well. kids? Wait, what's the what's the title they, again? Crossing guard. But, they, I mean, okay, that's enough. You don't need to talk. But that about wasn't it. what the topic was, was it? It was what was the three topic? Best crossing three best guards. Specific. Guards. So this is a crossing. You wouldn't call it Moon of Jupiter. Jupiter. <laughs> so. Diggis no. used astronomy you also, against you. You also wouldn't call the hey look that's a Moon of Jupiter. You would say. There it is. Yeah. Okay, there it is. Good point. All right, I'll accept it then. With the there it is rebuttal. Please continue. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> the reason I love this so much is because one of the first things I had to do uh, when I was uh, in um, middle school was be a crossing guard because I had to show up early for school every day because I lived like uh, an hour away from school and I had to be dropped off at school super early. And so I got a job being a crossing guard and I got to wear that little silly, like crossing guard, like sash thing that they have to wear. Uh, and I had to be super official about getting people to stop, getting, uh, you know, the cars to stop, getting people to cross the street. I was, <laughs> I had to be super official about this. This, this was in, you know, seventh grade, I had to be like... Wait, your kid is a crossing guard? I thought the yeah. whole point is the kids don't know how to do it. We need an adult to, to help them. So no, they no, just no, make no. a kid one of the cross... 
Yeah, the kid. I'm really confused. It's, okay, it's, so they can't look at boobs yet, but you can make them stop traffic. But what the great That's thing about this particular pick is, Kelly, is that this opens with Max Fisher sitting in the car of the woman uh, of his of his friend's mom, who he has a crush on. He's sitting in her car, just talking to her. He's the crossing guard. He's got his crossing guard sash dilly bob thing on, and he's just sitting there talking about you know, and just talking about things. And like, if you, if your son needs any help. Just let me know. And then he gets out of the car, and then he continues with his crossing guard duties. Um, he's still got his sash on, and then he, and, but he also has a walkie-talkie. And then he gets this this uh, this broadcast from another dude who says, "Max, my mom just showed up. Is it okay if I leave early?" Over. And then Max says, "That's fine." And then um, Bill Murray's character shows up, and Max shows up at his car because. You know, Max is in charge of making sure that everything flows here because you have to have a crossing guard to make sure everything flows. That's one of the things. And then, uh, you know, uh, Bill Murray's two kids show up. They knock him out of the way. They jump in the car and they torment Bill Murray. Um, But I just love those crossing guard outfits. It's not even an outfit. It's just this weird. I don't. You can't even call it a sash or a or a vest. It's not even a vest. It's just this weird, like uh, I don't know, this weird bit of tape that goes across one part of your body and another part of your body. It's so awkward, but it gives you authority. It gives you immediate authority because it's bright orange or whatever, and then you get to point at people and say, "Don't cross there. Don't cross there." You're the crossing. Uh, it makes it drunk with power. It's so yeah, it does. It gives you it gives you power. Just this weird little sash, this weird little you thing hate. put over yourself. See, it's just like everybody wants some, so you should like the movie. You <laughs> How's that? Run what, a team. what does that have to do with anything? Well, well he, he got you there, Dingus. You have to admit. I don't have to admit that. It's not <laughs> you're on the team. It's like you are. You can't say there it is on that. There's no there it is defense against what I just said. <laughs> but is there a connection between that and the IMDb quiz? Crossing guard? Is that is there a connection there? No, except for the word guard. Uh, all right. Kelly Wand, what is your third favorite guard in a movie? I was trying to find a tangent in the framework. <laughs> is, uh... There's a tangent. I mean, there's a tangent as far as how the the thing that you wear around your waist goes over your shoulder and then down across. There's a tangent there. My number three is uh, the you're all wet guy and MacGruber. Oh, MacGruber. Uh, oh, I just. Ah, so many good guards in MacGruber. I know. Shoot. The you're all wet guy but, is great. Dead comment. MacGruber. <laughs> uh, I right, might do you might want to explain yeah. that to the folks. It's not everybody, t- and plus, Dingus loves talking MacGruber anyway. So, Dingus, do you remember this? It. Did you like this gag in MacGruber? Because I considered it. I thought maybe it would win you over, but it's near um, the end. The second I don't half remember of MacGruber, MacGruber is- other than somebody pees on somebody else. Dingus, it's the part where he traps the the room with the the guard's body. And then puts the cup over the door when the door opens, and it spills water on the guy. And he sees the note that says you're all wet. How yeah, it's not spilled. It's bio you are. And the guard who's the guard is sitting in the chair who's dead ha- is flipping them off. Yeah. So he took the corpse and broke all the fingers. 
so that when the cup falls down. So you like this? Wait, this is your. You like this guard? You think is is he an effective guard? Well, he's effective for making the audience laugh. Yeah, right. <laughs> third guard I thought of. I could have chosen just like doofus guards, but I did not. I All my guards are funny. Actually, I like funny guards because the gu- the guards in Goldfinger are all dumbasses, but they're not funny. He's James Bond's being funnier than them. But the you're all wet guy died for a good reason, I thought. <laughs> but he's not he's not in a, he's not useful as a guard, right? Oh, he's useful to the narrative structure of the movie. They should have a scene where Val Kilmer calls that guy's mom and tells him, "Uh, yeah, it was your all wet." Uh, <laughs> Died his fingers. You made the funeral. You may want to cover the hands. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give it. you guys a line from my second favorite guard in a movie. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You will loosen these bonds, and you will leave the door open, and then you'll drop your gun. Uh, 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 <laughs> weak. What? Wait a minute. Do you know what it is? Is it uh, the, your favorite Star Wars movie? <laughs> Do you know who plays the guard? That's what's cool Dan about Craig. it. Yeah, which I had no idea watching it. So in yeah, Force, that's good. That's in Force good. Awakens, because James Bond has had a career killing countless guards, so they yeah. get Daniel Craig to play a guard, and he gets totally punked by the yeah. the title of the I movie. Can't. Because Ray's Force Awakens, and she does she doesn't even have to do the non-fake physical gesture that Alec Guinness perfected, by the way. Or have any training whatsoever on Dagobah <laughs> for an entire movie. She doesn't right. have to have any of that. Exactly. <laughs> Luke Force, doesn't even do the voice. Luke can't even do the voice yet after that. We well, never Force, see him using it. Did, it didn't wake up in them. It just woke up in her, and she gets to tell people, loosen the bonds, open the door, and, and by the way, leave the gun. Yeah. So I like Why the finger... Never I like it's Daniel but... Craig, and I like that he sasses her back when she first – like that you think, oh, it's not going to work. Like she's trying to do it, and he's like, no, oh, I'm no. not, you rebel scum. I'm going to tighten the bonds. But then she sucks it up, and she uses a force, and he falls for it. I thought that kind of ruined the first gag a little bit. What, what do you mean? Like I well, the fact that he do, it doesn't work on him the first time was really funny, and then when you go, no, it's going to work. We'll you know what, though? It. And J.J. Abrams, I, I think, knows this. Daisy Ridley, like they really – play up like how confident her voice sounds when she does it for real like she's kind of hesitant about it a couple of times and then and i think even like the music gets serious or something but we cinematically in cinematic language and in daisy ridley acting language we see that when it finally works she's doing it qualitatively differently than when it didn't work so. Well, as when Vader or when, oh, no, Vader, when Kenobi does it in in New Hope, he's not even really saying it very. Intri- he's just First like, I'm no just going to do what I say. There's no movie called New Hope. I don't know what you're talking about, but in Star Wars, you're right. Uh, he's so laid back about it, but he he's got that that gesture. He's a veteran, right? He's a veteran, and he he has the he also zaps some extra with that little uh, physical gesture that he does. She can't gesture; she has to go by voice only. Exactly. So she's it's really good. Like at Force Command. I do like that Kelly has conflated Vader and Kenobi now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've been watching the prequels too much, Kelly Wand. When a woman tells me to do that, I always have I always it's, it works every time. <laughs> Dingus, what is your second favorite card in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. It seemed a bit daft me having to guard him when he's a guard. That's Rushmore 2. <laughs> Rushmore 2, Electric Boogaloo. 71. 
Uh, uh, this is the first thing that popped to mind because this is one of my favorite things that has to do with guards. Uh, and it's super silly, and I love it so freaking much. And this is from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I said that super oh. fast, so Tom couldn't laugh. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I didn't laugh. I rolled my eyes. As a matter of fact, I think I've sprained my eyeballs. I heard. We heard the clicking. <laughs> so, Wait, which guard is it? Because my number two is a Holy Grail guard. Oh my so god! Which, not the hiccuping yeah. guard. It's Eric Idle. Oh, um, my favorite. No, the guard. guy. Yeah. Okay. What? What are you gonna say? Is it the guy who he wants to come? What he thinks he wants to go with him? Uh, yeah. It, we'll yeah. Stay here. Yeah, it's that whole that whole sequence, which I, is one of my favorite my favorite little bits of comedy sequencing in a movie ever. Uh, is is that it seems a bit daft me having to guard him when he's guard. No, you stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. All right, but if he were to leave the room with us, no, no, you stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, yeah, but you know, if we were to leave. And he were to go with us. Um, the reason I love this so much is that before I ever saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, I had friends in college on my freshman dorm um, who had a cassette tape of the um, of the soundtrack of the movie of the film that had all this extra stuff on it, and they would act it out for me uh, before I'd even seen this. And that and I had a friend named Jeff. Who Jeff Zoni, who would do this whole sequence for me? Uh, it seemed a bit daft me having to guard him when he's a guard. Um, that whole sequence, and no, you stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. And that whole Eric Idle not letting him leave, uh, you know, because the prince is not Alex, it's Herbert, and um, uh, all, all that whole thing, uh, you know. Oh man, that guard, that guard, that particular guard, Eric Idle's guard, uh, for the, you know, the, you know, guarding the future groom, uh, of Princess Lucky. Ah, uh, oh, I love that guy so much. He's so funny. He's also good in the next scene where the prince shoots like the arrow and Eric Idle's just kind of smiling at him the whole time. Like, yeah, he's yeah. watching. Well, that's all the same care. scene. It's, the, it's, you know, it's the whole same, it's the whole scene, you know, cause then, then the king leaves and then, you know, ping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that scene so much. Oh man, that's so, not my real name. That's a terrible choice. You're right. right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a terrible choice. But I love that guard so much. He's, it, you know, just the way that whole sequence and how how utterly weird and uh, non physically slap. It's it's just verbal slapstick. That whole thing. That whole you know. Uh, all right. Well, well, can he leave the room with us? No, no. You stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. I love that so much. So, yeah, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Tom, what's your favorite line in the Dead Parrot sketch? Oh, it would have to be the bit where he walks funny. My number two is the guard in MacGruber that the water falls on when he comes in. Because he actually does <laughs> just like, he just scowls up at it irritably. Like it doesn't, and you don't even see the water. But he's like super, he just looks, he plays it super straight. He just looks annoyed and like just stares at the corpse in disbelief. Like, it is a what? different guard. That's the yeah. bishop. What? Nothing. Oh. I think Dingus is referencing the mechanic resurrection. I am. The uh, bishop uh, is the mechanic resurrection. So that's my real number two, is the guard. So wait, you've used MacGruber twice? Yeah. And I've used it no times. How is that fair? 
Um, you know, there's a lot of cool guards. You were right. So, it's Kelly, Richard, did I steal your number it. two? No, but he was really good. So, seriously, this is your topic, and you've chosen the same dude for your... No, it's a different dude. He's, it's the same scene, but it's two different guards. It's two different guards. The first one was the guy who got killed put in a chair, and the second one was the guy who got punked by the trap. Because I laughed twice, so they, they, they <laughs> count as different experiences. So, But your guard, Eric Idle's the same guy in both scenes. But yours is really good. Yours is good. I'm not going to track. Fair enough. Because I think you just need to rewatch MacGruber 2 to appreciate the richness of characters that Kelly Wan is talking about here. They're both funny movies. I agree. They are both funny movies. All right. Are you guys ready for my favorite guard of all time in movies? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't think of this until uh, earlier today. I don't know how this came to me, but it's a pretty obscure one. Um, In the Mike Lee movie Naked – uh, there's a part where David Thewlis is after he has left his girlfriend's house where he's staying. He's basically homeless, and he's sitting in an alcove in front of a closed-up office building reading the Bible. And the security guard comes up and looks at him through the glass door, and he thinks he's about to be run off and that the guy's going to kick him out. And the guy unlocks the door and comes out, sort of looks around and scowls, and David Thewlis is like, okay, give me the boot, you know, run me off. The guy offers him a mint and looks around and, <laughs> you know, uh, gestures that he's reading the Bible. And they they have a little bit of talk about, like, a, a religion and, and time. And then the guy goes back inside. And then uh, he comes back out and he invites David Thewlis in. And he has David Thewlis, like, stand off to the side where nobody can see him. And he has to sit there at the desk and pretend that he's not talking to him. And he just wants someone to talk to. He's lonely. And he introduces himself later as Brian. And there's a long stretch in the middle of Naked where David Thewlis and this bored security guard, night night security watchman guard guy, uh, had these conversations about time and unpacking the book of Revelation and at the end of the Bible and all this stuff about theology and and what comes out in the course of their conversation, you know, the guard wants David Thewlis there as kind of a, a conversational sparring partner. And what comes out in the course of their conversation is the basis for that movie's nihilism. Uh, mm. It's kind of like the sort of the philosophical core of, of Naked. Um, so it's Brian in Naked. Does either of you guys remember this guy? It's kind of a no. obscure pick. Yeah, yeah, I Don't. know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm a little bit touched that you picked this because I would never have thought of it. Because he also it's what he ends up doing to the guard because the guard also shows him and the guard's not being pervy about it when he does his rounds. He shows David Dulles this this woman dancing in front of a window across the way that right. he sees every night, and he obviously kind of has some oh, affection yeah, no, for her. And then David right. Dulles when he leaves he goes over there and basically verbally like like mentally beats this woman down uh and he knows that the guard is watching him right. he knows that, that brian has seen him do this uh, so that I, I really I, yeah. I you know actually i one of the reasons i'm reacting to this is that i just watched um uh 28 weeks later recently and um uh, Jeremy Renner is watching people through his ah, right, right. sniper scope, and uh, he's just—it's voyeuristic in a certain way. But he also sees the family um, that he's eventually going to save. Right. Um, so that 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 
idea of guards uh, watching but watching. Oh, sure. Right, right. All right, Kelly Wand. What's oh no no Dingus sorry what's your favorite guard from a movie? All right, my favorite guard from a movie in this game late in the game, uh, and thank you Kelly Wand for uh, making me watch this movie again because I love watching this movie. Uh, uh, here's a quote from it: uh, "I would have taken a bullet for you," um, and this is from. Uh, I hope you will accept Kelly Wand um, the idea that a Secret Service agent. Uh oh. Uh oh, Kelly Wand judgment verdict. Uh, what? <laughs> it's a secret serviceman, someone who guards the president. Do they count as a guard? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's so their is... job duty. Yeah. Is it their I mean, job? I would have picked Gerard Butler for all three of mine, but nope. I guess. Well, I did kind of think about messing around with that, <laughs> uh, but in fed, instead, I went, instead I went with somebody. <laughs> don't don't Connor me, Mister. Don't you dare Connor me. <laughs> His name is Timmy. Instead, I want something that I really, really love. Uh, this is from the movie Dave. And um, this is the character <laughs> Wayne Stevenson. Uh, I you watch that again. <laughs> I love the movie Dave. How dare you? I was talking about Meet Dave, the Eddie Murphy as a spaceship movie. No, Dave. I wouldn't say watch Dave again. All right, anyway, I'm sorry. I don't think it was me. But I'm flattered. <laughs> you made him watch it, Kelly Wand, because he he thought of the garden, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to watch the scene with the garden." He watched the movie. Thank That's what you, he means. Yeah. It's oh, not like okay. you you gave him instructions. Dingus, please watch Dave. Signed <laughs> right, Kelly. Okay. This is okay. a this is a prime directive. You must follow he, it. Yeah, he said that into his 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 uh, cuff, and I heard it in my ear. It's like, which okay. Dave are you talking about? Oh my gosh, uh, that makes me want to pick one of the stupid guards from Born Identity who's speaking into his cuff when he's supposed to be undercover. <laughs> Those guys were yeah. terrible. Um, so do you guys know who played Dwayne Stevenson? Hmm. Should we? It's a guy named Ving Rhames. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, uh. what I love about this guard is that, you know, the, the plot of Dave is that uh, the president is kind of a douche. Um and he has a stroke, and they often have to have a body double for him. And they find a guy who's uh, who's running uh, this uh, unemployment agency, but he also does on the side he does appearances as as a presidential lookalike, uh, like at uh, used car lots and whatnot. You know, uh, just because he does a really good impression of the president. And so they've had a couple of guys come in and do this, and this guy is the absolute best who does this. And when the president, um has a stroke, Frank Langella, and a guy named Kevin Dunn. Do you know who that is? Yeah, why do I know who that is? He's from Veep. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ben. Yeah. Of course. All right, all uh, right. Uh, Kevin Dunn. Uh, Frank Langella is the chief of staff, and Kevin Dunn, I think, is his uh, speechwriter. Um, uh, bring this guy in and have him pretend to be the president. Uh, and it's all Kevin Klein doing all this great stuff as both as both characters as as the real president douchebag and the guy pretending to be, be the president and the wife is Zagarna Weaver and so um, 
one of the ways that they find him is that the guy who runs the Secret Service, uh, who's the main Secret Service uh, body guy for the president, is Ving Rhames, and he finds this guy, he brings him in, and he protects him. And so they have these a couple of wonderful scenes where um, where Kevin Klein's character playing the president uh, says to him, "Well, if you if you would have taken a." bullet for him does that mean you have to take one for me and you can just see the guys that you can see because being rames is really good you can see the wheels turning like wait <laughs> would i have to do that wait you can kind of and you just see even if, even when he's just being this this supposedly statue faced character you can still see things going on behind his eyes and then you know later on in the movie when it turns out that wow uh, this particular character is more presidential than the actual president. Then eventually, Ving Rhames, you know, they have a moment where he's like, yeah, Dave, I would have taken a bullet for you. Uh, and then at the very end of the movie, of course, uh, when, uh, you know, it's revealed that, you know, all these things have gone on. And then um, the real, you know, when Dave goes off to start like a councilman's campaign or whatever um, and falls in love with. Sigourney Weaver, uh, you see Ving Rhames' character, uh, Dwayne Stevenson, you know, step in front of his door at the councilman's office. So he's obviously going to continue being this man's guard. Um, but it, I just find that so touching. I, I just love their relationship, mainly, Kelly, because of that moment where he says, I would have taken a bullet for you. And it's just, it's totally schmaltzy, uh, but it's so touching to me. Uh, so, yeah, that's my favorite guard character and kelly you made him watch that this week you made him how dare you uh did it hold up oh it holds up every time i've seen it so many times i love this movie if if only for the moment where uh kevin klein is standing in the shower and singing hail to the chief he's the one we all say hail to hail to the chief because he keeps himself so clean and then uh security weaver <laughs> marches in Opens the door of the shower and, and like, is excoriating him because she can't stand her husband and doesn't realize that this is the actual guy. And then Sigourney Weaver just sort of glances down at his junk and she's like, uh, wait, what? I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's, it, what I just said does not give it justice, but him singing that Hail to the Chief thing and her storming in on, in on him in the shower, ah, it's just sublime. Excoriating makes the shower water sound hot. You saying that is excruciating. Uh, that could apply to many things, including my number one favorite guard is the guard in Apocalypto, the Mayan guy who's all, I'm walking here. What? <laughs> I don't even know. That's what? That's what the subtitle says, because they start to slide off a cliff because they're all tied to like a bamboo rod, and then they all start slipping, and then they like try to drag the evil guard in, but he's like, I'm, all, I'm walking here, because they bump into him when they come back up. So that's my favorite guard in movies. thing is, how can you not remember that part? What's the matter with you? I, didn't we go to see that together in a theater? Me and you? No. Oh. Kelly, you're not eligible to see movies with us because you live in Germany. Apocalypse does not hasn't opened here yet. <laughs> How is that a guard? Oh, never mind. All right, are you are you going to pull yourself over? No, 
All right. That's good. It's good work. It's probably the easily easily number one. But also the Garden MacGruber at the end. No, no, <laughs> no. I thought you were going to do a, th- a, a threefer with MacGruber. I'm disappointed in you, Kelly Wand. The Kelly Wand I once knew would have done MacGruber three times. Then he, he it summons him. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'd love to have Will Forte join us. It's Kelly, just pronounced Kim- Fort. I can't believe no, none of us chose the Emperor's Guards. I love like, those guys. I, like I do love they them. They never do anything. I don't know I don't what know the hell they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're Imperial Guards. What yeah, are those they, weapons? They're just they, never fight, they never help them. They're helpers. Yeah, but, but Where were they in Jedi? How come they didn't help the Emperor? when he was Because Thor, they were with Thor. <laughs> uh, I just wonder how their garb can help <laughs> them fight. Well, like most... I'm, 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 I suspect they're largely ceremonial. Yeah. Don't you think? I don't know. I don't really know how the Empire works. I also played around with like guard dogs, but I decided not to do that. They've been my three best garbs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kelly, what do the listeners have for their favorite guard? Thank God. I thank guard. Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. I was put off guard by this latest 3x3, but I'm going to serve and protect with my picks anyway. (laughs) See, he's back. He's doing them again. Back. I'm so happy. I felt or like we'd broken him. Yeah, I was worried about that. Him. Now let's re-break him with his choices. Number three in Stargate. <laughs> See? <laughs> Two words later. <laughs> now that the puns are out of the way, let's get serious with some Stargate. Ra's Egyptian helmeted guards are never given names and maybe have a total of one line of dialogue, but are impressive looking in their armor and with their blasting weapons, even as they ultimately fail their charge. Blasting weapons? They're impressive looking with their blasting weapons. <laughs> All Weimer writes. It sounds like something that the Terminator would order at a gun store. Impressive looking. Blast. Especially since one of them is played by Jamon Hounsal in an early role. Mm. Did I say that right? Close no. enough. Number two, in In Time, Magne Philippe Weiss, Vincent Kartheiser, learns that his posse of bodyguards recently beeped up, beeped up after his daughter's defection. <laughs> it's so dumb when you go back to say something and then you say it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Beeped up. I mean, beeped up. Turned out to be useless, but one of the recently hired guards turned out to be the very man he's trying to defend himself against, Will Salas, Justin Timberlake. Hey, isn't in time the uh, – it's that uh, Andrew Nichol. It's the Gattaca guy. What? It's a science fiction movie that Andrew Nichol did. I didn't see it, where you like have a certain amount of time you're allowed to live, I think, and you can buy and in sell time. it. Oh, and Justin right. Timberlake's like a – I don't know, a time merchant or a time cop. Is it good? No, I haven't seen it. I mean, I say no. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Counting down on your wrist or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a clock. uh, Yeah. A palm crystal? So it's Logan's run without the kitsch. Could uh, could be. (laughs) I I can't imagine Andrew Nichol would have kitsch. Justin Timberlake wouldn't do anything with kitsch in it. It's not for kitsch. (laughs) Number one, you know, that famous phrase, Tom. In the running, man. Killian's See, he didn't write parentheses Richard Dawson. I'm really upset about that, Paul. In Running Man, Killian's security guard, Sven, gets lots of verbal abuse from his boss throughout the movie, so much so that when it's time for him to confront Arnold Schwarzenegger's Running Man, 
in the finale, he walks away from the fight derisively saying he has to go shoot up some steroids, a reference to one of Killian's insults. Best regards, Paul Weimer. So the guard just leaves? Yeah, and he makes fun of Schwarzenegger. Oh, I like that, actually. I like that as a choice. Yeah. That's a good one. Ben Halliburton. Hey, Kelly and friends, I can't pass this one up. Number three, the four Tomekian guards protecting... <laughs> Go on, Kelly. Wait, wait. What's happening right now? Hold on. Fuck everyone. Oh. Kelly, we're waiting. Why are you so excited all of a sudden? Tom, I'm looking I wonder. To this. The f- <laughs> that first word, I think I know where it's going, and I can't wait. I still have, I, you know what? I still have a cold, so this is cruel and unusual. <laughs> I don't know where we're going, it's, and this is exciting. Taking on the week. Thing is, I think we're in for some anime. Oh what? Ugh. Oh, Tomekian? What is that? Mean? Uh, okay, uh, sorry. I I, go ahead, Kelly. The four Tomekian guards protecting Kiratoa. In Nausicaa of of the wind, when they break into King Jill's room to murder him in his sickbed, his daughter Nausicaa runs in and kills or disables all five of them with just a walking stick. Not the best guards, I guess. Lord, you best take one of the arm before Nausicaa stops her rampage. <laughs> it's not really uh, anime, though. That's uh, Miyazaki, isn't it? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we debate how to pronounce Nausicaa? Nausicaa. No, we can't. Number two, the guard who gets knifed in the back by UN Special Forces when SEAL attacks Nerve's headquarters in End of Evangelion. Uh, there's so much more to say on it. To read, I mean. <laughs> This is an iconic scene, but I've never really understood it. The guard wearing a cream-colored uniform set off by a fetching red beret is facing away from the gate, making you think that he's facing outward, but the attack comes from behind. Was he actually facing inward and trying to keep people from leaving the HQ? And then the last one's the longest one. <laughs> uh, uh, everybody wants it. Number one, Kaguya's attendant in the tale of Princess Kaguya. <laughs> How can there be so much to this shit? <laughs> it's such a small island. <laughs> I don't need room for doors on it, but they can produce so much fucking names to say when I have a cold. The night that the celestial beings are coming to take Cayuga back to the moon, her distraught parents... This is on the internet! What the fuck? Who cares? Her distraught parents hire guards and attempt to keep her safe. After a long pan over the dozens of archers and spearmen surrounding her compound, a brief shot shows the stout attendant kneeling outside of Kaguya's chamber with a kimono tied back, a headband on her brow, and an aganata on her lap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
In one of the most moving scenes in movie history, they all fail to protect Kaguya, but the attendant gets the closest. Thanks again. Love the podcast. Pick more easy topics. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Thank you, listeners. Always love hearing from you. Daniel Arnoldo Lascalier Crone writes. What? It's Bruce, motherfucker. Hello, American citizens. I had a whole list ready, but then realized I had misread your category as best gourds, so I had best. I had to start again. <laughs> oh, C's European. It's some European writing, Tom. Number three, Maximilian Theo Aldorfer, Dirk Bogard. The Nazi cap doctor in the night porter. Oh. He is not. Yeah, it's American uh, anime. He's not technically a guard, but he does protect Charlotte Rampling in the camp, so they can do their thing. Also, and he's listed as a warden. His English got better is when his pick started. And <laughs> according to the Oxford English Dictionary, that means one who wards. Warding is a form of guarding, as any RPG will tell you. I know I'm on shaky ground here, but if I get pulled over by Kelly Wan, he'd better be riding a motorcycle with an attached sidecar. Number two, in the reader, Kate Winslet plays Wait a minute. SS camp guard who lets a group of prisoners burn to death at a church. It isn't that sorry about it. Oh. I had it coming. That's probably the weirdest role description for any Kate Winslet character and would be worth watching if there were any characters in the movie at all. Most uneven film, 2008, since Sunshine, 2007. Number one, The Zone and Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker. No, wait, really, it's the best possible guardian. It relies on your fear of finding out what you truly desire. What could be more effective at keeping people out of some place than a cryptic philosophical threat? And it's so Russian, not just the premise, but the scene where they're penetrating the room and have to sell the idea that something terrible could happen without any special effects whatsoever. Not just because there's no budget, but it's Soviet Russia, so they barely have toasters, never mind cool CG. And the zone is absolutely a character in the film, thanks to Leonid Kiryazhinsky's magnificent cinematography. Uh, I hate these Russian listeners. I I decided not to do Guardians. I I think guards and Guardians are different. Right. A Guardian is someone who escorts you to an R-rated movie. (laughs) Anyway, I just rewatched it today, and it's every bit as good as it was in 1979. Honorable mentions The Guardian of Forever and Star Trek, the original series. That's a TV show. For the, among other things. The problem is I'm not sure what it's guarding, because it sure isn't forever. It's just like old movie footage. Martin Lawrence is a security guard in national security, because he's just funny. Ilsa Sheetwolf of this SS. All right. Daniel, thank you for writing in. Really enjoyed your uh, efforts. <laughs> As always. Chris Webb writes, My third favorite guard works in the facility where Sarah Connor's detained for having recounted the events of the first movie in a terminopsis. Robert Patrick 1000 impersonates the guard, and when he turns around and stares himself in the face, he looks the way Kelly Wan sounds. Duh. 
Oh, yeah, that guy. Number two. <laughs> In the 2000 feature film Scream 3, National... Okay, wait, what? You know what? I'll read it how it's written. That's what you get. That's the Kelly one promise. <laughs> it's your punishment for writing it that way. Number two, in the 2000 feature film Scream 3, comma, National Treasure, comma, Greatest Living Actor, comma, Parker Posey, suck at Florence Foster Jenkins, hires David Putty to be her personal bodyguard while she cosplays Courtney Cox, who isn't a porn star, by the way. He lives in a trailer outside Double P's house. Does anyone know what movie this is? National Scream Treasure. 3. Scream, 3. Scream 3. Tom's huge fan. And one day... <laughs> David Putty like Seinfeld? What the hell? I think so. One day while making vegetable lasagna and yelling at Elaine over the phone, he gets stabbed by a man wearing white face paint. So now Parpo has to hang out with the other characters because she's no longer safe making the movie better. I think I remember... This is the one with Jenny McCarthy, right? Where they're making the Scream movie in the movie. I think so, like the real meta one. Yeah, I mean, as they went on, how? what else were they going to do except get super meta? Your disinterested silence right before you started talking was your <laughs> was the correct answer. Number one. My number one pick for best moving picture guard is John Candy in National Lampoon's Vacation, the first film in a film series featuring great IDs and badges. And look over there, Harrison Ford and Dwayne Johnson are taking off their pants. Okay, now that the three-by-three guard's distracted... <laughs> Uh, my favorite idea in a movie is the fake ID in Vegas Vacation. Arthur Jovan. I mean, Nick Papa Giorgio from Yuma, Arizona. <laughs> Vegas Vacation. Who the fuck's seen that? Okay, the guards are coming back. Yeah, and I really like John Candy because he proved that characters who talk like Princess Leah can be taken seriously. So, uh, best guard. Oh, I've destroyed the internet. <laughs> Uh, Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, I assume everyone on this list used to be an adventure until they took an arrow to the knee. I assume everyone on this list used to be an adventure until they took an arrow to the knee. Okay. Do you know that one? Do you get that reference? It's pretty obscure. No. It's a nerdy Skyrim reference. Jesus. I know. (laughs) A lot of video gamers would get it, though. Number three, Wreck-It Ralph. When going from game to game, Ralph must continually deal with the Surge Protector, who's an electronic security guard TSA agent. He's always suspicious of Ralph and not good at keeping actual threats out of the games. Should I see that movie? I don't think any of us have seen it. No, I haven't. It's It's got Dingus' favorite female comedian in it, uh, Sarah Silverstein. No, yeah. Amy Schumer? No, Sarah Silverman. Oh, that one. Dingus uh, has a kid and you didn't see it. Yeah, Dingus, why didn't you take your son to see Wreck-It Ralph? Why would you deprive him of such a thing? His mom took him. Oh, his mom took him. Oh, all right. Dodge that bullet. Yeah. Right. Mom duties. Number two, The Silence of the Lambs. The two... (laughs) Oh, God. Are we going to hear about Sergeant Pembry right now? Uh, Pembry? The two guards assigned to watch Hannibal Lecter at the Tennessee courthouse. They actually seem fairly nice and treat Lecter well. Safe to say their kindness is not repaid. So both of them. Okay. Number one, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Rat voiced by Willem Dafoe sold out his animal friends and is working as a security guard for Farmer Bean in order to gain access to his cider. Mr. Fox and Rat cross paths on multiple occasions and their final battle is hilarious. 
I missed that movie. Was that one of our first ever ones? I don't know how old uh, it is. We definitely did a podcast on yeah, it. Yeah, we did. And it has that great line, am I being flirted with by a psychotic rat? <laughs> Whatever I think is going on here, it better not be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if what I think, if what's going on here is what I think it is. Yeah, it better be. not be. Yeah. But, oh, but she is, oh man, Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep. I know. She's no Sarah Silverman, as being, far as voices in animated movies. Am I being flirted with by a psychotic rat? Oh. Yeah, she's, she's so good so, in uh, Life Aquatic, too. She's so sexy. Chris Markinson writes, Hey, guys, I decided that for this topic I wouldn't choose mouth guards, guardrails, football guards, or basketball point guards. Here are the guards that I was left with. <laughs> Number three, the guard from X2 that Mystique ejected full of iron for Magneto to use. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I felt bad for that guy. I did, then too, Magneto, yeah, because he thought he, he was getting lucky. Yeah, and then he, and then Magneto's lines like, "Don't trust a beautiful woman who shows any interest in you." Yeah, does he say something like that? Super. Yes, random? yes, he definitely does. He <laughs> says, "You've got, you've got too much iron in your blood." It's great. Gandalf making you feel small because <laughs> he used to be Fassbender. Number two, John Candy and Eugene. Levy working as security guards for Guard Dog Security and Armed and Dangerous. I kind of like that movie. Meg Ryan's in it. There's like a camper jump in slow motion. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't it's know that movie. It's Toxic Waste. It was there. They, it's like them as Seth Rogen and um, James Franco. Kind of. Yeah. Number one, Francis, the security guard at the club, and John Wick. <laughs> Which one's Francis? I love guards with names. Oh, I like that guy. That's a great one. Oh, he's the guy he basically just dismisses. He's like, oh, you're coming back. He's like, yeah, all right. You should probably take the night off. Right. There's a nice little moment where Wick holds the gun to the guard's head and they talk. Wick suggests Francis take the night off, which Francis does with Thanks, Thanks, guys, Chris. Yeah, that's that's a great one. That's an awesome pick. That's an awesome pick. I love that guy so much. He reminds me. It's almost of, like uh, got to make that movie kind of good. It sort of elevates it. Yeah, yeah. It's his version of the pistol shot shooting the swordsman in Raiders. That's how John Wick diffuses it. That's yeah. The way to, if Keanu's yeah. feeling sick, that's how he does it. And he, that's all he, we have from listeners. I love that. What? It's a great pick. It, it reminds me, and I just. I just showed Tom that like there's a there's a moment early in because you know, my kid likes to watch Parks and Rec. Um, what is it, Justin? Um, Big Justin. Yeah. Big Justin. Eric Farrow. No, uh, Eric Eckstein, isn't it? No, no, shoot. What is that guy's name, Dingus? I don't know his name, but and it's not this guy who plays it in in. I, the only reason I'm bringing it up is, is that I would imagine this guy being able to play this this character like ten years down the road. This particular like security guard or bodyguard, not bodyguard, but that front that gate guard that that Chris is bringing up uh, reminds me of the type that that Justin would play. Um. I don't know who actually plays that character, and I don't know who plays Justin, but uh, for some reason, those those actors just span me. But you're t- yeah, so he's talking about Big Justin in Green Room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Eric Edelstein. Oh, that's that guy's good. 
Ah, that would have been a good. See, no one said no one did a green room guard. That's not, he's not a guard. He's a he's a bouncer. Oh. Is a bouncer a guard? Hmm. Uh, well, he's like, guarding them. He's supposed to like I. Room. Well, I mean, a stormtrooper isn't. He's not called a guard sixty four. Well, that's his duty there. He's guarding Ray while she's locked up in the torture thingy. Yeah, but the alphabet they don't have the word guard in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> no, right. So yeah. I was thinking about Star Wars guards though. How we how we'd work that out, but I, I bumps his head. But any but anyway, just Chris's pick reminded me of of what Tom and I talked about this week with that guy Eric. Now wasn't he wasn't Eric Edelstein the big Justin from Green Room? Wasn't he a guard dingus in Jurassic World? Oh yeah, he was. So he would have right. been a guard. He, he was in Dominus. He was in the Indominus Rex pen. Yeah, and he gets like smushed or eaten, right? But he might have just been a tech. But yeah, he, oh yeah, he gets. Why well, didn't they have like security guard uniforms on? Maybe yeah, I think you're right. And he can he can open the gate and he runs out. I mean, right. That's what that's the reason that Dominus gets out because he opens the gate to get nice out. Nice move, Big Justin. Way to go, Big Justin. Not oh. so big now. Oh, I totally forgot that. Very nice, yeah. Indominus. So runners up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real dinosaur, Caliwand. Jesus. <laughs> it's like naming the villain uh, in the prequels General Grievous. Can't we bring back Crichton with uh, frog DNA? So you can can we have the next one. somebody named Count Dooku? Jesus. Han Solo? Jesus. <laughs> what do you guys think about the new Han Solo person from Hail Caesar? Oh, uh, uh, Alderman. Uh, no, shoot. Like Eric Alderman. Alderman. He has a lot of CHs. Rich. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's good. Yeah. Oh, I love that guy. He's yeah. my favorite thing about Hell Caesar. He's yeah. he's a great, great guy. I mean, I don't want anybody else to play on solo, but I love that actor. Yeah. That's how I feel. What's his name? Alden Ironrick or something? Alden Ironrick. Alden Ironrick. Alden Ironrick. Alden Ironrick. Aaron Martha Marcy Maymar Lyle Rick. <laughs> Alden Aaron Reich. Third. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, here's my favorite thing about Hail Caesar. Uh, runners up? Um, pretty much done. I watched Iron Dream last night, and there's a lot of cool guards in that movie, and a cool black dude. What's Iron Dream? It's the Nazis on the Moon movie. Iron it's Sky. Really, oh, yeah. What did I call it? <laughs> Iron Dream. Jesus Christ. It's <laughs> a cool name, though, for a movie. That's the... Um, Norman Spinrad novel, like that's supposed to be written by Adolf Hitler. It's like science fiction. Ah, hints the confusion. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. See. All right. Are you guys then ready for next week's topic? Oh yeah. This one's Dingus's fault. What? Dingus. Uh-oh. Okay. If anybody doesn't like this topic, talk to Dingus, not me. How do we? What's going on? What? How did this happen? Dingus, you ever since that thing when we saw um, Suicide Squad, and we were talking about how. Jared Leto's impression, of, like his his representation of the Joker, uh, how terrible it was, and how he was just kind of aping stuff he saw Heath Ledger do, and trying to sound like him, and it was bad. And and Dingus, we were talking about like different ways you can envision the Joker, and Dingus came up with this idea: what if Zach Woods was cast as the Joker? He's this mm. guy in Sil- Silicon Valley. He plays the keeper of the haunted house at the beginning of the Ghostbusters movie. Uh, he was in the Loop um, in that movie. Uh, and I've just been thinking of this idea, like, yeah, what if Zach Woods was the Joker? Like, it's weird casting, 
and it's not traditional, but it's just so bold and different. It would be so exciting if something like that happened. Um, so what I want you guys to do is think of more of those. And what I'm going to call this is weird casting that would work. So mm-hmm. I don't want you to just come up with like bad casting and not appropriate casting. Like don't tell me Daisy Ridley would be a good Laura Croft or you know Daniel Day-Lewis should play Captain Ahab. No, I'm not talking about like good casting and not just random bad stuff. That's obvious casting. Right, exactly. all, you, you think that anybody would be better cast if it were Daniel Day-Lewis. Let's well, yeah. me. That's a truism, Dingus. I think everybody who uh, has ever seen him in any movie would. So the trick to Daniel Day Lewis weird cast would be finding something that he would be that he would work at, but you still wouldn't go, oh, really? Him? I don't think there is any such thing, though, Kelly Wan. That's yeah, I think that's physically Obama. impossible. What you just suggested. <laughs> what did you just say? Did you say Obama? Well, because yes. he did like it. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis could totally play Obama. What's the matter with you? I think he'd do it. I think it would work, but it would be weird. You know what I'm going to do though? I'm taking Daniel Day Lewis off the table. Yeah, that's right. You cannot bring Daniel Day Lewis into this. I don't want to hear any weird casting that would work with Daniel Day Lewis. He's not allowed. He's verboten, off limits. I'm proscribing the choice of Daniel Day Lewis. Otherwise, and there's not going to be any cops here because your idea of weird and what would work is yours. We just want to hear from you. Weird, inspired casting choices that you would make, like Dingus talking about Zach Woods playing the Joker. Uh, these can be characters that are already in movies. They can be people from fiction. They can be uh, like real-world people. Like imagine there's a biography of of Obama, as Kelly Wan suggested. Uh, so, oh, well, I kind of like that actually because you you had a you had a topic that was like. Uh, how do you fix a movie by recasting it or something? Exactly. Like, what's a movie where somebody in the cast screws it up, and who would you have put there? Right. And that wouldn't but, have been like weird casting. That would be like what would fix it? What would be good casting for it? Right, this is right, just something right. weird. And it you will you will do well at this topic if it's something that that sticks in your head the way that Dingus's Zach Woods is the Joker it has stuck in my head. There won't be yeah. really any cops on duty, so do what you will with this. Because like I said, super subjective. Um, send those in. Send your picks for. And this is called weird casting that would work. <laughs> yeah, because when Dingus said that, I hadn't thought of it before, but after he said it, I had the same thing you do, right? Yeah. I'm picturing the movie in my head, and I go, this is kind of not bad. And I can't see the guy. He's in the next uh, Christopher Guest thing, Mascots, and I can't see the guy without now thinking, fuck, he should be the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that's, that's a tough bar to ask. I don't expect anyone to reach that bar. Like, Dingus kind of broke the Peter the, uh, the yeah. with that one. Um, that's the challenge, though. Right, exactly. See how close you can get to that level of You're facing oh, yeah. real power, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Try to break a record. So send your picks for weird casting that would work to 3x3 at quarter2three.com, and we'll read them on the air next week. Uh, we're also going to see a movie next week called – Kelly Wan made me forget the name of it – The Light Between Oceans. What? Uh, Derek Cianfrance's new movie, the guy that did Blue Valentine. Uh, that will be our – our movie next week if you if you see it and you have something you'd like to point out about or you'd like to ask us something about it or something you'd like us to talk about send any comments in a separate email to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com and we'd be happy to include those so join us for that next week the light between oceans and then a three by three of weird casting that would work i am tom chick i have been joined by christian i wrote it down how to pronounce it uh here we go Morawski. It's Christian Morawski. Kind of sounds like a, a venereal disease. <laughs> and 
with our uh, no, not with our tagline. Uh, with our tagline next week, Kelly Wand. Uh, go fetch it from the parking lot. I'll sign it for you. La 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 la. <laughs> ah, ah. Say what? Go fetch it from the parking lot. I'll sign it for you. You got the best cheese on campus. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! That wasn't your choice to make.